local legend or local hero is that local what you call it <laughs> <laughs> i've been calling him local celebrity local anytime celebrity. i've been telling people about you being on i'm like oh we're gonna have a local celebrity larry dixon in my my heart of hearts right so i come up i go to west point i'm gonna i'm an econ major right so like i i am a super pumped up huge capitalist right love capitalism i i, I love it right was Michelle Obama talking about how we don't need someone who puts kids in cages? Yeah. You so, mean uh, you mean husband? the policy that started during your husband's administration? And just like a red, white, and blue phoenix rising from the ashes of political bipartisanship, we are back to Salt of the Streets podcast. This is Saturday, August 22nd, 1.14 p.m., episode 92. And welcome back, everybody, to the Salt Street Podcast, your one and only source for social and political commentary on all the weekly news, pop culture, and sports that you can handle. And the best part about the whole deal is that it's all built from the ground up for people like you and me, the everyday normal person. So come down and join us as we discuss life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and continue our endless efforts to bridge the gap between people and information. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Colin. I'm Donovan. And today we are joined by the man, the legend himself, Larry Dixon. Local legend or local hero, is that local what you call him? <laughs> I've been calling him local celebrity. Local Anytime celebrity. I've been telling people about you being on, I'm like, oh, we're going to have a local celebrity, Larry Dixon. There it is. There it is. It rolls off the tongue real nice. Um, but we're going to be talking about, uh, well, actually, Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming, man. Um, Thanks for having me. And we're going to be talking about some the latest and greatest of the executive orders that were being signed last time we were recording. So we obviously mm-hmm. didn't get to do kind of a session on those. And you've done an extensive breakdown on all these different executive orders. Uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit. We're getting to know you a little bit more. Um, I think you were at West Point about at the same time I was at West Point doing some other things. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. We'll talk about football. We're going to talk about uh, the, what we think like a phase four stimulus package might look Mm -hmm. like. And then this really interesting concept about these learning and school pods that sound really interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so we're going to get into all that. And as per the usual, so, so, so much more. Um, So yeah, let's uh, we'll just take it from there. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start here. So, um, Larry, you're obviously from our area, um, but you yeah. don't live here anymore. A lot of people watching this are going to recognize you. Some people are going to know what you look like. Some people are just going to know what your name is. Um, so we'll get into like your personal history. I got, I'm still getting used to wearing headphones again. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit. And, um, but I kind of, I mean, I've obviously known who you were for a while just because you went to the same high school that I did, played football. So I went to your games and stuff when you were playing. Um, and some people, your name comes up randomly. I don't know if you know that. People are like, oh, I wonder what Larry Dixon is doing. Like, it's just, like I said, local celebrity is not an unrealistic description for you. Um, 
partially because you've done some amazing things, partially because our town is so fucking small that if you're famous for anything, you're going to be super famous until someone else comes along. And I don't think we've had anyone (laughs) else. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think we've had anybody else really famous come out since you. So, um, I mean, I'm like, I'm on here every week, Don, don't diminish me. That's that's right. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Um, But I came to kind of re notice you, when you, I think it was when you started doing the breakdowns of these bills, right? Because did you just start doing the breakdowns when all the stimulus stuff happened, or had you been doing them for a while? So, um, the stimulus, like that was the first time I went to Facebook. Uh, I got into accounting and taxes, so like that's pretty much what I do in my spare time. And so I've been helping people kind of sift through, grow up as their tax situation becomes more complicated. And then when that first stimulus package came out, I wasn't really paying attention because I don't spend a ton of time paying, a deco- paying attention to politics. But once that came down, I started getting, I won't say inundated, but I got asked a ton of questions. Everybody was like, well, what does this mean? How does this affect me? Is this taxable? And then I just saw even more oh, yeah. stuff than that. I saw just wrong information being put out. And I just saw yeah. memes that were just wrong. And I was like, okay, well, we need to break, we need to sift through this. And then I was like, I'm just going to go to Facebook. I'm going to help out my friends. And hopefully like people will get a little bit of value from it. Yeah, and so you and I were not friends on Facebook at the time, but somebody, a mutual friend that we had was sharing those posts you were doing. And so I saw that and it was like you were kind of talking about a comprehensive breakdown of the stimulus package, what you should expect, what the checks are going to look like, what it means for you in the future, what maybe you should be doing them with them, what you can maybe expect in the future from another face. Um, and then... After that, you were taking questions for several days afterwards in the comments, which I thought was great. Not that you were just leaving it like, here you go, figure it the fuck out past this point. Not that they couldn't because it was so comprehensive, but that you were actually taking follow-up questions afterwards to help people truly understand something you'd already broken down. Um, And that obviously fits very closely into what we're doing here, you know? And so the... The first one that I saw, I added you as a friend because I wanted to keep seeing it. Um, yeah. I wanted to keep seeing what you were doing because, first of all, I thought it was a great resource for myself. Um, but I also just loved seeing it, loved seeing other people understand what was happening and trying to help even more people understand. Um, so that's kind of our whole goal of what we're doing here, you know, is trying to take politics and make it easy for everybody to consume, you know, mm-hmm. Um Make it digestible for the average, yeah, the everyday normal person. As you know, we because right. that's we don't bullshit when we have that in the beginning. That's that's really what we do. Is it's for your coworkers at work that you can you sit there and you have you know people have especially these days in twenty twenty political discussions going to come up in some fashion. Yeah. And you should be able to have an intelligent conversation with your coworkers or your friends and and if they're saying some really fucked up shit that's off the wall and totally not true, you should be able to be coming to sources like us or you know whatever it is and being able to strip away some of the bullshit out of that and then just actually talk about what's really happening because it's so for lack of a better term you know the fake news is so pervasive and when the vast majority of people that are on these social medias are getting their news if you will their their political facts from memes that's a problem it's a big problem now huge and problem there's just so much of it like there's just like you guys seem like as you guys start following more like there's so much going on like you look at america we have like, the shutdowns or the coronavirus 
Then you pop in, you have like the tax bills and then you have just what's going on. You have the George Floyd incident and then you have the Black Lives Matter. And then like, you're like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. And then you're like, well, that's just America. We haven't even gotten to China, Russia, like the average yeah, right. So like whenever I see someone distill something down in a meme, I'm just like, I like, there's people that spend years studying this stuff that put out papers. I'm just like, that's right. just not how we got to get through this. Yeah. Well, and the stimulus bill, like you said, because it was such a huge piece of legislation it was so hard for people to consume and there was immediately misinformation put out for any number of reasons whether it was because someone didn't actually understand and they were just saying something or they were trying to attack the president trying to attack the democratic party trying to attack the republican party so everybody's finding something that they don't like you know and attacking it and that the checks were so big like i even just dealt with it last night at my Ooh. at the cabin with my mom's house there was somebody there one of her friends that you know we were talking about what we're going to talk about on the show today and they were like oh what about these checks like i've heard you know they're going to cost people like up to like eighteen thousand dollars and i was like hold on right i was like so think about it and i was like even just at its base right like these checks stem from a multi-trillion dollar stimulus package like yeah that is where the money came from is the money that we added to the deficit. Like, so there, there are literally people who aren't paying taxes, that don't file their taxes that got checks. How are you going to pay back money on your taxes? If you don't file taxes, it's, it logically makes no sense, you know, but Mm -hmm. people for, like I said, for any number of reasons are so instantly willing to accept something that makes them upset, you know, that they think makes somebody else look shitty, does something, does whatever. Um, is that outrage culture, you think? Or that, I'm not that might sure. be slightly I don't different. know what to attribute that to. Um, I just think we, I mean, I think we like to be, I think we love misery. I think we love company and misery loves company. Yeah. I think we like attention. And whenever you say, like, whenever you're screaming, like, this is the word, like, people are going to be like, oh, man, like, that makes me feel bad. And then you, like, congregate right. about what's bad. Like, I think that, again, that was tough. Like, the big thing, the big misnomer with the checks was, so, well, this is taxable. And I was just like, like, just outright, like whether or not you agree, like politically that we should have got them, like, that's just a wrong bit of information that like, right. if you're operating on it, like you can't have a right conclusion. Yeah. So, so Larry, since you do have the background you do, just kind of for everybody that might be listening, can you talk about the, the taxable situation that, that we're talking about here with the, the federal um, stimulus checks? You know, are yeah, those absolutely. taxable? What does that mean? What does that mean for the average Joe? So like, the the stimulus as we saw right the twelve hundred dollars per adult five hundred dollars per kid that's going to be that's going to come to you as a tax credit so the tax credit is the government giving you money so whenever you go on uh to do your tax at the end of the year the government is going to give you that money essentially at the end of the year in the same way that you would get it for your child like you hear a lot with the kid tax where you get two thousand dollars per kid it's the same exact concept so in the same way that your kids don't like that $2,000 in tax. This isn't tax, right? But instead of getting it at the end of the year, they gave us an advance on it, right? So they gave it right. just early. So the best way to say it is not even a stimulus check, is it, it's an advance on a credit, right? And that's right. not the same as unemployment, which that will be taxed, right? Because that is, they're giving you a wage, right? And they tax right. Yeah. So that's the big differentiator. It'd be like, well, then is my unemployment? Like, no, your, your $600 a week is going to be taxed. Like, I hope you withheld on that. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to put it because I have a child, right? So yep. the last yep. time I filed taxes, I did. I got that extra two grand. Yeah. 
I don't have to pay that back. I can tell awesome. you, I got yep. to keep it. You know, <laughs> so I think that's really the way to put it. There are a lot of people I saw like the same deal as you. When that first happened, I saw so many people that were talking about, oh, I'm going to save this money. If I have to pay it back, I don't want it. Like all this stuff, you know, that I'm like, that's not, that's not even true. You know, people who had multiple kids and so they're getting mm-hmm. big checks, you know, married couples with three, four kids, they're getting checks of several thousand dollars, you know? So they're like, do I keep this five grand? Do I like, what am I supposed to do with this? You mm-hmm. know? And then other people in the comments of their questions, just straight lying, you know, yeah. whether or not they knew they were lying, but saying things that were not true. And it made me so happy to see a regular person that doesn't like you, that's not doing a podcast, not trying to, I mean, other than like doing taxes, you know, you're not making money off of trying to provide no, information. You just portion. want people to understand the reality of what's happening, you know? Yeah. And like, that's the, like, we make taxes out to be so confusing, right? Like we've all, I mean, at least in my family, like I always thought taxes yeah. were confusing and it sounds aggressive. And if you ever read the actual tax code that like no normal person reads, like not even accounts, right? Like reading the tax code is absurd, but like, it seems real complicated, but it's a very simple thing. So like, I always wanted to, I always get, I always hate when I had a question and no one's there to answer it. So I try to just answer these questions and like give back the little bit of knowledge I have. Like, obviously it's very specific. Um, yeah. so it's not going to stretch, but like to be at least like bounce off to say, Hey, I don't know. Or like, cause like we've all seen information and then you're like, well, my situation is super specific. Like this can't apply. So I, I've always hated that situation where that person just feels alone or the other worst thing, they have to go pay hundreds of dollars to get someone else's time. You know what I mean? Which is right. oh, yeah. fine for me as a capitalist, but like as a person want to help people, like I want to bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly. Um, one more note on the checks. I think a lot, another thing that scared a lot of people is that they came into your bank account from the IRS, you know, and rarely do people have a positive experience with the IRS. You know, usually it's a negative thing. Usually you're like, shit, I have to pay money this year. I'm not going to get anything back, like stuff like that. So when it came and I don't remember exactly what it said, like in my bank account when I got it. Mm -hmm. But if I had not been doing research on the checks, I could easily interpret that as like, I'm going to have to pay this back. Like just however it was labeled, I cannot even remember. Oh yeah. Um, I can't can't remember what it was called, but the way that it was even labeled in my bank account, it was like, that doesn't look good. Publicly, optically, it doesn't look good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it was easy if you got the $1,200 or the $2,400, but there was people that got like $720. 12 or $10 because like the, you know, they got pared down off of that prorated things. So like right. it's even weirder for them when you show up, like I have $765 from, like, no, no, that's, that's you. You're good. You did your part. So, and I didn't even consider, um, cause obviously I'm in the $1,200 range. I didn't even consider getting less than that. Oh, you know? yeah, so yeah. all these articles are going to be about $1,200. So if you get less than that, you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I did not consider that. And if you're running a direct deposit situation too, like it's one thing where you get a check in the mail and it says U.S. Department of the Treasury, IRS, something like that. But then you get some weird code in your bank account as a deposit from like IRS, bunch of numbers probably and all this other stuff. It's enough to go, uh, what is this? Yeah. I'm worried. (laughs) And even in the tax round, they tell you like, hey, in two weeks, you're going to get this money. And then in one week, you're going to get this money. And then they're just like, hey, you're going to get it Friday. Like for us, we're like, we're okay. We're going to get Friday. Our bank told us. And then on Wednesday, we got it. And I was just like, 
it, even like I knew and I was uneasy, I was just like, okay. Cause like, I, I would hate for them to like work the kinks out with me, but no, that's not the money for you. We have to pull that. So like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a stressful situation. That's why like, for me, like I just, I was disheartened like through the process, like that whole, you can ask my friends, I've ranted about this continuously. It's very disheartened through the process. And then for people to like, when everyone's hurting to let the rage kind of consume them. And then just like, they're just screaming, right? Like nothing's getting done. Like some people just don't want to know, like just want to know and just, they don't want to do anything wrong. And then people are just screaming at them. And I'm just like, okay, like, come on, dude. Like this, like everyone's struggling. Like coronavirus hit like all of us, like disproportionately, obviously, but like it, again, I was very, I, I was angry with Congress. I'm very disappointed in our Congress. And then uh, I was very, I was very upset with how we kind of handled that situation. Oh, what yeah. do you, will you expand on that a little bit? You said you were disheartened by the process. What do you mean by that? So like, okay. So in my, my heart of hearts, right. So I come up, I go to West Point. I'm going to, I'm an econ major. Right. So like I, I am a super pumped up, huge capitalist, right. Love capitalism. I, I, I love it. Right. So like, it's pretty sweet. It's amazing, right? I get to get some great things. I have my friends sometimes. But um, what I realized through this process is that we're a socialist country, but just for rich people, right? So, like, when I see them cut out, like, a $382 billion for the American people, but then cut out $565 billion for these corporations that might fail, but they're too big, that that frustrates me, right? And so, like, that because I'm a capitalist, I'm just like, listen, I don't want to be socialist for anyone, but I definitely don't want to be socialist for rich people like that, that definitely is never going to make me feel good. So like I was, I was disheartened in that process where like they kind of did that under like no one talked about it for two months because not many people read the $1,800 bill. So like they gave you a piece of candy and then like they just took from you. And so yep. I was upset with Congress with how that a, like how it came out. Right. And I, from like reading about it, it was like, I guess the Republican side that pushed for that and that's fine. But at the same time, we've seen Democrats when they don't get what they want now with this voting bill, like they've mm-hmm. been stopped. They've halted everything. Right. And you yeah. can say that's right or wrong. But we've seen whenever they don't like something, they stop it. And like none of them were out there doing that. And then also, again, I it's just it, I, I've seen West Point has afforded me the op- the opportunity to be around a lot of great leaders. Right. Like dudes that you just see them just like, yo, like, let me just hitch my wagon to you. Like. They're like, okay. hey, we're going to go out to pick up trash on a Saturday. But honestly, I'm going to be the first one there helping pick it's up like, trash. I'll go. Like, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? There's great people. So, like, when that little there's, like, town a mass hurt and none of the politicians, like, took their money that we give them as citizens, like, and gave it back. Like, it doesn't have to be to anything. But I'm like, hey, you're making $200,000 a year. Like, I don't, I don't want. care. Like, g- give it back to somebody. Like, it's so easy. Like, the snap, like. If like how amazing would it be if Congress came out right? Both sides said, "Hey, guys, we're gonna go from a hundred or two hundred or one hundred seventy-four thousand. We're gonna kick it down to sixty k. We're gonna make it work throughout the entirety of this like this this uh, what, this pandemic that we're in. And we're gonna band together. Like I don't want to hurt, but like again, what did we get? We we didn't get that. And then like I don't want to." disproportionately put on one side right but nancy pelosi in front of the fridge that cost ten thousand dollars talking about how her overflow of ice cream like that doesn't make me feel good you know what i mean right like, that's yeah not what you want to see so nationally like, angry yeah exactly i was just like uh like you're either you either don't care or you're like tone deaf in either way so like i was very frustrated when i saw the bill that even when it hurt like 
they didn't, they didn't, they, like, they kind of helped us, but then they helped their friends, the rich people, right? And then right. be like, I don't like how Congress can put out, like, for example, the the new one that's out, the Heroes Act, that's over 2,000 pages. I believe it's like 2,020. And I yeah. read all that. I was just like, why do we have these thick bills, right? Like, if we're going to, like, if you read the Heroes Act and gave it to someone, you would, you maybe argue with them on maybe one third of the bill, but that one third of the bill is what's stopping us from getting more money into the hands of the people that need it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so like when, when politicians can't stop politicking, even in like these terrible times, I just get, I get frustrated. Like I'm disheartened. I don't, I mean, I try not to speak negatively of people, but I don't think they're living up to their, their position. Well, 100%. (laughs) No argument on this side of the table. Um, As far as your first point for the money being given to the corporations, I Mm -hmm. think that, I think you're right. The $1,200, whatever people got was, they were so infatuated with it that they were completely lost by the money that was given to the corporations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talked about a lot was how much money was given to just like travel companies, airline companies and things like that. Boeing, right? Boeing is a local company. They're in our area. And for the last two years, probably, they've been dealing with these accidents with the shitty planes that they made that are crashing, right? So so when that's happening, I and then Corona happens, I'm like, oh, we don't know what to do. We're going to have to lay off all these people. We're going to have to. And my company, the one that I work for, I work for a company called Benick. Um, yeah. And so we make neoprene orthotics. We make all, all this stuff, right? And we have a contract with Benick to make or with Boeing to make Boeing booties who make little slip on single use boots that they used to walk on the inside of the engines and like on the planes of the wings and stuff. So they don't conduct electricity, don't conduct electricity and they don't, they're anti-slip. And so we even have contracts with Boeing. So we benefit directly from them continuing to exist, but as an individual and as a taxpayer, I don't really see it as my fault that you made a shitty plane and pushed it through anyway because you wanted to make money and now you don't have money to sustain yourself through a pandemic. That's not my fault. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't be getting billions of dollars because of that. While we live with $1,200, $2,900, $2,400, whatever, right? Until maybe another stimulus package is passed. So let's spend a little time on this. I want to flush this out a little bit because yes. there is a lot of layers to that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, the the 2,200 layers or whatever. Exactly. 2,020. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one aspect of it is that, that fat omnibus bill situation, which I remember not too long ago, I want to say maybe a year ago, President Trump swore on the Oval Office that he would never sign another omnibus bill. No more. Enter pandemic and that just goes out the window. But yeah. um, let's go back to the financial crash of 0809, okay. right? And then we bailed out, we'll just, I'm going to generalize it because it's very big, but yes. we'll just say we bailed out the banks because they were too big to fail, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, there is some real world consequences of that. If the, if the vast majority of the financial sector just drops off the face of the planet tomorrow and every go, everybody goes broke. Not only does the USA not have an economy, but the rest of the world, whose most of their economies are intertwined with us, everybody, everybody dies at that point. Everybody dies. It's all over. Yeah. There's no more countries, total anarchy. There's zero economic system. Anymore. You can almost understand the bailout at that point, right? But at this point, now we're talking about manufacturing companies, travel companies, private companies, private companies. But again, Boeing, just using Boeing as an example, how many employees does Boeing have? Oh, a lot. Right. 
And so is this one of those situations where (laughs) is it best for the overall health of the economy to say, this is a fatal wound. We have to let it go out. Every one of these people needs to lose their job and that company needs to go under because someone else eventually will rise up to take their place. Those people will go through hard times and they'll eventually find another job or something, but it's the natural cycle of things economically. And I guess my question to that would be, what's the difference between Boeing and millions of small businesses that provide I, I guess I couldn't compare the amount of capital that gets put in because I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, would I rather have Boeing or would I rather have a million people whose their whole well-being and life is based around a company that they're mm-hmm. going to lose because the money went to the wrong place? You know, I, well, I don't know. Exactly and Boeing laid want. off yeah. several thousand employees anyway, yep. you know, they got all this money so they could try and save everything and they laid off a bunch of people anyway. So Larry. And, and- I, I agree with Colin. Like, honestly, the, that's a great point, right? So, like, we it, it, that is always the scapegoat they hide behind, right? These are infrastructure companies, mm-hmm. and without those infrastructure companies, we're going to collapse. And I completely yeah. understand. But at the same time, I've always wondered, why is there no mandate on the money spent, right? And I'm not trying to dig into the yes. financials. I can't run their business. But, for example, let's wait till the end of the year. In September, I believe it's American Airlines. One of the airlines companies is going to cut out like 30,000 employees. It's either 30 mm-hmm. or 70,000 employees. I want to say, why are we going to let these people collect bonuses at the end of the year? Right. So, for example, if you just said, hey, like, you're right, you need this help. Here's the $5 billion check. But for the next five to 10 years, you can't make, as a person, more than $60,000 a year or time inflation. Right. And we, we just put no pressures on those people to kind of uh, spend it or be great people, right? Because like, again, mm-hmm. if we're going to say the social safety net is there for you, then like we have to have a a forcing function to make them give back to us. Because like what I don't want to see is that those companies get $5 billion and then fire employees and then write fat checks and said, hey guys, we did it. We have a great business. And like, mm-hmm. that's where I start to get uncomfortable. But like, I, I get it because in 2008 when they're like, Banks are too big to fail. Like that was the first time I was like, I don't know if this feels good, but like economically, like you stated, like a lot more than America's going to go down if our banking system goes down. So right. kind of like we're almost in too deep, essentially, in some of yeah. these institutions that we can't, you know, in good conscience walk away from them and let them fail. Although, you know, I can't help but stick to kind of like my roots on that one. Saying, well, no, we need to deal. We fucked it up. Somebody fucked it up. We as a society screwed it up. We need to pay the consequences and it's going to hurt real bad. But I mean, on paper, I could see, say like, just with Boeing again, let's say we give them $500 billion, right? Mm -hmm. To to float their business, keep their employees and pay it, so on and so forth. Could you not just give that $500 billion to every one of the employees and then whoever wants to stay there stays there. And then if the company fails, the company fails and everybody's, then everybody's got money or something or put it into a social safety net within the state or something so that those people can still get access to that money. But then the company that is failing for very specific reasons fails. Yeah. And then we just move on. And I think that that's, I think those are both great points. Um, I'm just playing with ideas. And to Larry's point, when the first stimulus package was being passed, I remember vividly it being a huge sticking points that the Republicans were not willing to put something in the bill that mandated the way the money was spent. They were not willing to put something in there. And I didn't understand 
that, you know, and the only stipulation for the PPP program was just to maintain 90% of your payroll through mm. September, whatever the fuck. It's like yeah. a, it's an it's arbitrary like, it, it, yeah. time, yeah. like through the end of the year or something, you know? Yeah. So what I can take, I think it was twice the amount of money that they needed for payroll that they could get in a loan that would turn into a grant so long yeah. as they maintained at least 90% payroll. So yeah. That's it. That's all that you have to do. And if yep. so, you can just pay them. I mean, save as much money as that it, of that as you can until that happens. Lay off all those motherfuckers because it's been a year and America's still going to shit. And then keep all the rest of that money and nothing happens because it's a grant. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing to. And I'm not trying to play out a nightmare capitalism scenario because I'm a capitalist. But we've yeah. seen dirty shit like that happen in the past. Oh yeah. And so I have some reason to think that there's some sneaky accountant who himself wants more money who walked himself up to the first floor and was like, hey guess what I just figured out how we can all take a fat ass bonus when all this is over, you know, that we can look good publicly and not take a bonus during 2020, but 2021 we'll take a fat new year's bonus. Cause we did so good maintaining the company until we just couldn't do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. Even on the PPP loan side of it. So like the, when it first came out, like 75% of your loan for it to be a grant had to be spent on payroll. They lowered that down to 68 right they at least started to be like, Hey, like what you can't do. Like, I believe one guy went out and bought like a, an expensive car. He got like a $1 million loan and went and bought a car. Right. He got hemmed up for fraud, but yeah, like, good. so that like there's an audit function or an oversight, right. That like in their heads are like, okay, there is a way that's gross negligence of spending. And then there's a way to do it. Right. But I just don't like it. There's a certain level of business that when you get above there, like we have no oversight, like we don't know what American airlines, Boeing's, what any of right. these companies are doing with the money, but for the PPP portion, cause I have a, like clients who did it. Like we have to present like, Hey, we got $24,000 in this grant. We spent over $18,000 on this. And then we spent on this and we have to present, like we fill out the paperwork and then some will be audited, probably 2% just random audited or those who yeah. do wrong. And they'll have to present pay stubs. They'll have to present receipts and things of that nature. But again, I don't like where things happen in a vacuum. And that's what makes me feel like, okay, like, is, is that capitalism? Because like, right. even how we're kind of like, we went around the table, like we all kind of had different ideas on how we could like oversight or like how we could have a touch point. And like the fact that they have zero makes me feel like they just gave their friends money. And like, that's either crony capitalism or socialist for the wrist. And I don't want to be a part of either. And that's, that's always where yeah. I've been like, like it may not be a hundred percent. Like I don't want to be in your boardroom meetings, but zero, like, is that like, is that right. smart money? Well, and to that point, there was so many companies, I'm sure you could find a list uh, when the PPP program first started that got yeah. big ass loans that until there was articles written about it, they were just like, Oh, we'll just hold on to it. You know, yeah, big yeah. old companies like, that didn't need it. Cause then they gave it back, including you know? private universities. Right. And it wasn't or until they Harvard, got public Stanford. pressure that yeah, they gave the money back. They were just going to hold on to it, you know, and just keep it and do whatever with it and pay 60% to payroll and then yeah. keep the rest of the money they would have spent on payroll anyway. I, that's crazy to me. You I don't know? remember what episode it was, but it, we were in the old studio um, back at the garage. Mm-hmm. And I do remember having a list of all the companies that received the first initial right. payments. And you'd look in the, the, the top like 15 were all different airline companies and a couple of major corporations and stuff. And then it got all the way down to, you know, the mom and pop shops getting $1 million here, $1 right. million there. 
but th- there was the ability to track that kind of money always, you know, puts my hackles up because mm-hmm. I just go, yeah. wait, wait, we just dole out money, just dole out money. And the, the oversight is almost, it's negligible at best. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's, but also when you, especially when you look at like the travel companies and the airlines, the government and that industry have been so intertwined financially over the last decades because you can't necessarily run an airline the way they run them at a profit necessarily without charging a thousand bucks a seat for a ticket, you know, from Seattle to Arizona or some shit, you know, something that Southwest will do for like two fifty. Yeah. I don't know. But Southwest is always the cheapest. It's just my go-to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nope, that's how we fly through the Southwest here. Oh, yeah? There you yeah, go. Yeah, I love Southwest. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've heard good things about people that, that fly Southwest. They're really cheap. They get you where you need to go, which at the end of the day, you know, if you're flying on any other airline, the best you're going to get is like maybe a, a different quality meal. And like maybe the difference is you get a, a cold meal versus like a pack <laughs> of peanuts. Yeah. But exactly. like Southwest is like, we'll just do this shit on the cheap. We'll get you where you want to go. And we're not going to charge you that much money. Come on. We just know you want to ride. Interesting. But I don't know. I've flown a lot. You haven't flown that much, have you? No. Well, the yeah. last time I flew, I had that horrible experience, you know? Yeah. It was like, we, <laughs> we flew Delta. Uh, I've only flown maybe like five round trip trips in my whole life. Like yeah. it's, I really haven't done it that many times. And so. Which is a lot more than even some people. Yeah, certainly. Never yeah. flown. But the last time we flew, we went to Michigan to see Jordan oh, yeah. Aaron's yep. dad um, and like his grandparents and stuff like that. That yeah, you you graduated with my sister in law. Um, yeah, yeah, Aaron. Aaron. I literally yeah. saw your wife. I was just like, wait, I know because I met her before, obviously. So, yeah. yeah, I've known her for a while. Yeah, her and Jordan look very similar. Yes, you can yes. tell their sisters hundred percent. Um, yeah, so we flew out there to see their dad and his parents and on the way back there was like what was the deal oh my god okay so the i love the airline stories the, it was so horrible right? yeah it was horrible uh, and we went to michigan we went to free soil michigan which is just the tiniest fucking town that exists and so we had to drive like two hours to grand rapids and then fly from grand rapids to somewhere else on a small plane and then get on a bigger flight right it was a whole deal mm-hmm. and so when we went to get on the last leg to go home the pilots that were supposed to fly the plane got in like three hours later than they were supposed to. And they have to have like 10 hours of rest or whatever before the next flight. And so they were late and they knew that, but no one said anything. They just kept telling everyone like, Oh, we can't get a hold of pilots. We don't know what's happening. Like we have no idea. So everyone's just sitting at the gate for like three hours. Right. (laughs) And so half hour before the pilots get there, somehow it leaks out to the people waiting that like what really happened, do you know? And so I'm standing there at the gate and I'm like, so you mean to tell me that you knew last night that this plane wasn't going to leave on time and you chose to not tell anybody at all. You just let everybody show up here. We could have tried to get a different flight. We could have all these things we could have done in 10 hours that you knew was going to happen. You could have sent a fucking email and nothing. (laughs) Right. And they're like, Oh, we don't know. Like, I don't know, you know, whatever. And Jordan has just crippling anxiety surrounded by or like centered around flying. And so then they were trying to tell us like, we weren't going to be able to sit together. And I'm like, I'm telling you, if we don't sit together, you're going to have to stop the plane somewhere. Like we're going to, it's going to be fucking bad. You know, like, well, we can't, we can't guarantee it. We don't know. Blah, blah, blah. 
dude, having a fit, right? And so then the pilots finally get there and I stopped one. Like as they got there, I'm like, you got to fix this, bro. I'm like, you're three hours late. Like you you have to fix this situation. So he spoke to them over the front and made sure we got to sit together. And then when we got on the plane, right, we saw to a guy, sat next to a guy named Jean-Jacques, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre. That was his name, yep. And he worked for some type of video game company, a small video game company and did like PR shit. He was an interesting dude. Right. So anyway, we sat down and there's fucking blood on the shade of the window that like the, in the aisle that we're sitting down in, like someone like cut their finger and like wiped it on the shade. So we sit down and Jordan pulls the shade down and there's blood on it. So I stopped, you know, the, uh, the stewardess. And I was like, can it like, what is going on here? Like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? You know, like you, like you got to be joking me. All this and Nether's fucking blowing the window. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll, I'll be right back. You know, and we'll, you know, like with something to clean it up. And I'm like, thank God. Right. Ten minutes goes by. Fucking twenty minutes goes by. This bitch is still not back. So Jean Pierre pulls out like an alcohol wipe and Aww. is like, here, like I don't, I, you know, I know you shouldn't have to do it. Like I don't know what to do. Blah blah blah. And so I fucking cleaned it off and then put it back in the wrapper and and that's when, how donovan got hepatitis she never even came back to like clean it up like she came back to do drinks and i was like oh also will you take this i was like because this is what i had to use to clean up the blood off the window that you like, didn't clean. oh my god i'm so sorry i'm like yeah it's fucking really gross right like super <laughs> gross that i had to clean up somebody else's blood off the window and so I mean, I joke about the hepatitis thing, but that's bloodborne pathogens. Dangerous as fuck. Super dangerous. And so I got home and I took like a week to like really kind of like get my thoughts together and decide what I wanted to do, you know, because I just, it was really not right. The way I felt was like, this is not, this isn't how people should be treated. You know, that's not good. Like it's, and maybe that's a first world problem, but I, I shouldn't have to clean up somebody else's blood off when I'm paying you several hundred dollars to fly me somewhere. Like Mm -hmm. I should not have to do that at the same time. So I wrote a letter like, this is my experience. Here are the pictures that I took. And I'm like, I'm not writing this because I want you to pay me a sum of money. I'm like, I just would like, would really just like someone to acknowledge that this is really fucked up that this happened and no one cared, you Mm -hmm. know, like just do better. So I got an email that's like, Oh, we're super sorry. Here's a, you know, pick a gift card for a hundred dollars from any of these places. (laughs) And I, so I went to work the next day and I think it was right after you stopped working there. And I was telling the people work and all the fucking boys in the cutting area, they're all dickheads, you know? And so I'm telling them like, this is, this is what happened. I'm just so frustrated because like, I don't want money like this. I don't, I don't care about this. I want an actual person to email me and like, tell me that they actually give a fuck that I had to wipe up someone else's blood, you know? And they're like, Oh, well then like, why would you even email if you don't want something? Like, obviously you want the money. That's why you emailed no, I just told you, I don't want, like, that's not what this is about. I'm frustrated that that's what they offered is money. Like, because I don't want it, you know, yeah. by the time that I actually decided that I was going to collect the money, it had been over 30 days. So the email thing expired. So I couldn't even go and get the gift card. It had been too late. Oh God. So, yeah. So the, so the link that I got for the gift card didn't even work anymore. So I never even got the so hundred dollars <laughs> to contextualize that. Right. I think, a version of that story probably runs common to most people that fly. I'm sure. And now add on the fact that we got to, the government just bailed them out for a half billion dollars for <laughs> half a trillion dollars. And they don't, it's not going to get better. They're never going to be better. Every time you deal with an airline, you just yeah. basically need to accept that you are cattle going through a fucking system and you just have to kind of do the thing, get and your fucking rights 
torn away every time you get yes. in there. Literally, your rights are molested every time TSA touches you. 100%. And I don't get I think that's what my biggest deal was, was like even the guys that I worked with couldn't acknowledge. I'm like, this it shouldn't <laughs> be this way. Like just because we rely on airline companies to get somewhere, we should not accept them being treated like human cattle just because this is the only option, you know? Yeah. Because they are all like, well, we're going to give you the bare minimum of compassion and human care on this airplane so that you'll still come back. And past that, I don't give a fuck because all I really want is your money. And that's yeah. just a, a dark side to capitalism. You know, the, the individual care is completely out the window of like, we need bodies on planes so that we can make this, this bottom line. This weird. Well, it's the same reason they overbook flights, you know. Right. Everybody Just in gone. case. Because <laughs> inevitably somebody ain't going to show up. Do you have any terrible flying stores, Larry? No, I'm I'm super easy flyer. I never really flew until I went to school, and now I fly all the time. I actually have a great talent. I can fall asleep under any circumstance ever. Oh, so, like, I so literally, fun. like, my wife makes fun of me because, like, before we take off, I'll, I'll be out. And then when we land, I'll wake up, like, oh, my God, we're here. And That's so, like, wrong. I'm the easiest flyer ever. Like, I, like, at West One, I only brought, like, a backpack everywhere I went. So, I even check a bag. I refuse to check a bag. Um, I, Smart I convinced myself that they have the hardest jobs, right? I convinced myself that someone was, like, mean to them or yelled at them. So, I just tried to be polite. I tried to go through there. I will say I pay for uh, TSA pre-check. I pay for every, like, comfortableness besides first class. Because, yeah. like, like, <clears throat> like I, lit- I don't, I try not to take out my headphones. It's it's the worst experience ever. Like you just, everything's slow. Anytime you ask a question, like there is no answer that's coming back. That's going to rectify a situation. It's just going to be like an answer to where you have to figure out yourself. So yes, I've been very lucky where I've had nothing terrible. I've, I've had like my bags lost once, but no terrible stories. Like I've been on some bad flights, you know, I've had the planes just, you know, shift up and down in the air that were like, oh, this might be it, but. Oh yeah, that's fun. This might be I, it. Whoa, that was about 15 feet. Shit. Like we had one going back to Austin where my wife convinced me like, sorry, but it was pretty bad. So we flew to Tennessee to see my best friend coming back to Dallas. They're like, Hey, like this storm's so bad. We have to take you to a different airport. So like oh, in the sure. air, like they rerouted us to Austin and like everybody apparently on the plane was like going nuts, like holding. My wife said the woman sitting next to us was like, they were going to die. And like, I just slept through the whole thing though. You slept the whole time? The whole time. Like again, like I, as soon as I sleep, like I'm just, I'm in a trance. So like, I'm like, she, she swears I've been down. Like that was a horrible flight. And like people on the plane also thought we weren't going to make it. But like, I was, I felt like I was comfortable. So <laughs> Tyler, you're just getting that massage. Exactly. Like, I'm just, uh, <laughs> Tyler, uh, my coworker, Tyler Baumgartner. I don't know if you know. Yeah, him. I know T bomb. We play basketball yeah. against each other. Oh yeah. So he, I work with him, his dad and his uncle actually own this company that we work for. Um, yeah. and so I'm sure you've, I mean, sure you've met his dad before and all like it's, that. It's all connecting. Yeah. I've, I've met them all like that. Exactly. Massive, like them and the Garjules, like they're the mafia yes. family. Of, yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so um, Casey Bowman also works with me. Yeah, uh, Drew Vettelson also works with me, Ooh. and Spencer Hansen also works with me. All wow, of actually, like those are literally all kids that I competed with in sports. Like Drew Vettelson obviously went to play sports, but like right. in ele- elementary school and junior high, he was the kid that could shoot with both hands. He's ambidextrous. Yeah, so, like that's just right. how we knew Drew. Like he was, he had like an ism about him. Yeah, yeah. So I work with all those guys now, and Tyler has expressed. So funny. 
a similar issue. He's told me he's like, I can fall asleep too easy. Like I can't lay down on the couch because I'll fall asleep and then I'll just be out for hours. Oh yeah. And Jordan, my wife has like terrible insomnia. There are some nights she just won't sleep. That's just how she lives. And I think she was around me when Tyler said that. She's like, I'll, I'll fucking kill him. Like I'll murder him straight up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. And I like Dax was really young at the time. Our son was really young, you know, so she was sleeping terribly anyway, just because mm-hmm. the baby was in the room and stuff. Just like, I'll, I'll kill him. I'll do it. I'll just kill him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Tyler's about to have a, his baby, right? They like are real soon? waiting any day. Yeah. Um, oh they have an induction date on Tuesday because then she'll be one week past her due date. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Good for them. I'm she, excited. like, drank some castor oil Thursday night, you know, to try Is that and what get... does it? Oh, she tried it. Yeah, trying to move it along. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tyler's sister... Christy, who has had four gargoyle babies now, I think, um, swears by the castor oil thing. Swears that, you know, if you take a shot of castor oil, like, the next day, that'll it's be coming. the thing. Yeah, apparently that's how all four of her kids have come. It has been oh. she's taking castor oil, and then that's the deal. So, I couldn't do it. You know, castor oil is like... It's like, I'm going to literally Google this because I have like no idea. It's like oil from the gland of a beaver, I'm pretty sure, that they, like, put on their uh like on their dams and shit where they put their babies like they put it on top of there i'm pretty sure that's what castor is and it smells like shit and it tastes like shit it's really not good yeah she said castor she was oil gonna- is a vegetable oil pressed from castor beans castor oil is a colorless to very pale yellow liquid so saith the wikipedia what am i thinking of that comes out i'm of gonna beaver? google beaver oil yeah because be careful about googling beaver oil i can imagine what this is good oh, beaver also is castor oil <laughs> oh beaver in spanish is castor so saith my wife from ecuador so maybe oh, it's castor oil in ecuador? no no beavers in ecuador oh, well though Maybe. Yeah. Depending I on what swear we're talking about. to God, <laughs> because I just laid out this whole story about beavers and it's like, oh, it's castor beans. But I swear to God, there's an oil that you get from a beaver gland. I swear. Yeah. It's a castorium. Castorium is a yellowish. Okay. Ex, yeah. Exude from the castor sacks. The castor sacks. So it is castor oil, just a different kind. I I feel like I learned that off a meteor from Steve Ranella when he's talking about trapping beavers. So I think that's weird. It can be called castor oil. Okay, wow. That's just, that's that's like an insane, like, fact that you kind of know off the top of your head. I'm not going to Yeah. That's it's a pool, slightly right? upsetting. But <laughs> is, yeah. Although I'll give you credit because you said you learned it from Meat Eater. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> here. Larry, I'm going to show you this picture. I'm going to bring this right up to the camera. Maybe you can see. That's what is that? Castorium? That's the castorium gland thing. Oh, Jesus. So they pull them motherfuckers out of the beavers, apparently. Uh, so there you go. So yeah, and they now use we need to do some beaver do something over where they over their dens or their whatever a beaver house is called. They live uh, in the dam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, so, they make go. a den within the dam. Yeah. Yes. So you go, yeah. they put it on top of that. It's a repellent thing. Oh, yeah. If you can keep the water and keep their den dry, that makes totally sense. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Okay. Crazy. Okay. Okay. We're, we're, I'm literally, I have no smart thing to say about this. I'm literally just learning. <laughs> this right is now. why we come here. Welcome so to we the show. Learn new things. My whole life is like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we can. 
let's talk about the executive orders from last week or from last episode. Okay. Because right? um, two weeks ago, we'll Donald do more Trump, sportsy stuff towards the Andy. Yeah. Well, let's do this, and then we'll talk about Larry, and then we'll okay. you know do whatever. Yeah. We'll yeah, whatever. Yeah. We'll talk schools, and then we'll talk about school pods, and then we'll oh, yeah. it, it'll work. Um. So it's pretty loosey goosey around here. Yeah. Yeah. It's we kind of lay out rough orders what we're doing. Like so, said, Rogan style. Rogan style. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> just just let it let them rift. Um. So. Technically, I believe I read only one of them is an executive order and the other three are memoranda, right? Which is, I would argue it's semantics at this point because they're all laying out various economic stimulus things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the package, so like, again, so we'll let, I'll lay all four just as they are um, and then we can kind of talk through it, right? So like the yes. first one was the eviction ban, which basically means you can't, you can't evict people, right? Right. Uh, I'll just lay them out, and then we kind of talk loopholes and how like the language of the law is different than what it was said. Uh, Perfect. The Social Security tax cut, the deferral that was posed as a tax cut. The payroll tax uh, deferral. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then the enhanced unemployment benefit. So mm-hmm. that's basically the state will pay one hundred dollars, and the federal government will pay the other three hundred dollars. And then the student loans, you you basically don't you can defer out your student loan payment, and there's no interest incurred, no late fees incurred. Which I think of all the four, that's my favorite. That's the only one I'm really behind. But yeah, so <laughs> we'll we'll start with the eviction ban. So the eviction ban in the language it says you cannot evict someone uh, unless uh, the wording's wrong. If there's a if there's a chance that it could spread COVID, you can't evict them, and like that was explicitly in there. And they haven't tied the loose end of if there's no risk of COVID, can I evict them, right? Yeah. And now there's a loose end, but there's an executive order. So not any of the evictions that have kind of been halted and have to automatically be sent to courts, right? Because like that's like the loose hole, the loophole, right? The Social Security tax cut, like obviously, like so I won't dig in deep. Uh, I do have a, a slight bit of a libertarian strand. So when we dig into taxes, I get, you know, I get like a vein that pops out and then I dig. It's out. very welcome here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right in the back. Oh, this is wrong. <laughs> this taxation is theft. Fuck. It's, it's insane. But so the deferral means that like we don't have to pay it, but it's technically not forgiven. So we're still liable for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, so let's, it, let's take a second on that because that's, like you said, it was billed as a tax cut. Even on yeah. that day, I watched the signing ceremony when Donald Trump is laying out, President Trump's laying yeah. out what he's going to do. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to cut the payroll tax uh, back so you don't have to do this. The very next day, when he's doing a press conference, he's saying that it's a deferral and that when I win in November, then I'm going to make sure you don't have to pay the taxes back and then I'm just going to cut the payroll tax and all. But mm-hmm. no, no expansion on that a deferral is not a cut, right? Because yeah. as we saw in the first stimulus package, there are people that have no fucking idea what that means. There are people 100%. that thought that that the payment they got was a deferral and they were going to have to pay it back later. And so Larry, us, all these other, I mean, I guess very few independent media companies took their time to make people understand you don't have to pay this back. And now exactly what they feared the first time is happening this time with the payroll tax. Yeah. And so it's like, it makes the work twice as hard because now we're like, well, I know we said this the first time, but now you should actually be scared about this because we're going to have to worry about it. And I saw I told Colin that by the time that I got home after we recorded two weeks ago, you had already been on Facebook breaking down the orders that he had signed. Um, And you said in there when you were talking about the payroll tax deferral is 
just remember this is a deferral. I would suggest yeah, yeah. you save this money because you're going to likely have to pay it back at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And I thought that was a great bit of advice that you would provide it to everybody that it's like, it's only like 75 bucks on average, you know, that people are going to get save your money. Like mm-hmm. don't yeah. spend it. It's not a bonus. It's not any of this shit. Um, I think part of the problem with understanding that is in some of the wording that they use. Right. You know, I, I heard the term. So when I say this, you just use your reptile brain. Don't use your, you know, your smart thinking cap on. But if I was to say, we're going to give you a payroll tax holiday. Right. What would that, what would that tell you? Right. Mm-hmm. A holiday is like, it's a vacation. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, well, I don't got to pay that thing. money back. Yeah. That, and that's what I thought when it was like first posing. My friend's like, yo, payroll tax holiday. I was like, yo, let's go. Cause like I, me and FICA, we've been at odds for a while. then i read it and i was just like yo like this is again i'm not gonna call him a liar he is in every way my boss and i respect the position but that was misleading the people and like it gets gross and that's what i tell people it's just like it's like if Colin's just like i owe Colin 20 bucks and he was just like you know what i'm gonna give you a holiday and then at the end of the year he's like listen you gotta give that 20 bucks and then like oh you just didn't understand what holiday meant i was like that's that's misleading and i didn't i didn't love that Right. So like, that's yeah. where I got frustrated. And then like, also, so like, have you read the, the actual order, right? The executive order. So no, in it, it says that like you can defer taxes in tax code 26 USC 3101 in parentheses a, right. And if you look that up, the average person is like, Oh yeah. Payroll taxes. If you look that up, that's only the 6.2% of the portion of the 7.65% that people have to pay. So they're mm-hmm. not even getting the full 7.65% back. They're only getting 6.2 and that other 1.45% of the FICA portion, right? It gets it gets aggressive, right? Like now we're so deep in there. But like there's basically 1.45% of your paycheck that you're not going to get back, but you expect it to come back. And that's just in the wording, right? But he didn't talk about that at all. Because essentially, you there's two taxes in the FICA tax, right? There's the Social Security portion and the Medicare portion. So the yes. payroll tax holiday is only on the social security portion, not the Medicare portion. Really? Yeah. But he never, he never splits it up, never talks about it, but in his executive order, it does. And that's why I get frustrated when people haven't read the bill. And again, right. I need someone to come out. Like, what am I going to tell someone? Right. So the, the president, the most powerful man in the country, probably in the free world just said something, but like the document doesn't, so like I'm not gonna be the one that say this is wrong, but I can say that this has not been super parsed out, and that's where I get frustrated, right? Because like, like you said, he's also saying. your boss. Yeah, right? exactly. Like he's my boss, right? There's, like, there's so much. There's so much litigation is the wrong word, right? Because no one's suing me, but there's so many rules and like customs and courtesies you have right. to follow. But like this one idea was not completely drawn out, right? Like that's where I was just like, okay. Yeah, and I think that's very interesting because even in. I mean, I'm going to say even all the articles that I've read, they've mm-hmm. mentioned both of those areas of tax being cut. It's the full 7.2 or 7.5% or whatever. So I would wonder how many journalists even, and it's, it's shitty because that's their job, right? Is to yeah. read the order. So I would wonder how many journalists have even actually read that full executive order before they wrote the article about it, no. about yes. this is what it's going to be like. This is how it's going to look. There was one person that no glanced shit. at it, wrote a, he glanced at it, wrote the article, and then the other journalists saw the article and wrote their articles based off of what they said in the original article. This sounds like a Salt of the Streets exclusive to me is what it sounds like. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> that is 
That's very, very interesting. And what's really funny about both of those programs that essentially we're talking about, I mean, we're, if we're getting a holiday or a deferral on the, on the Social Security portion, but still paying for the Medicare, it's because we can't afford to not pay into Medicare at this point. Yeah. Because as of pre-COVID, before any of all that stuff, Medicare was and Social Security were running out of money in, I believe, four years. Yeah. They were going to be bankrupt. They can't afford to shut that stuff off because Social Security is something you have a pretty specific group of people that are getting Social Security every year and then they slowly die off and more people go in. The boomers are slowly starting to go out. So they're getting more money in that realm. But Medicare can go for all sorts of people. You know, yeah. Medicare, Medicaid, stuff like that. And all comes from payroll taxes. Well, especially in the expansion, like you said, once COVID happened, there were so many more people that if you didn't have insurance, you could still have a COVID-related illness and have that covered by, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. by the Fed. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so those were, well, so we talked about the eviction moratorium. And I also think we should note that on the eviction moratorium and on the student loans, right, these are also only regarding federally backed loans Mm -hmm. right so like even my mom has a student loan that she got from like a private bank that is not covered under this executive order that is if you have fed loan then right and and i think that it's it's the same thing as this payroll tax it's not it is not explained the way that it should be you know that's Mm -hmm. like just because you have a mortgage doesn't mean it's covered by this just because you have a student loan doesn't mean it's covered by this because Mm -hmm. my mom is and i'm thousands or if not millions of other people are expected to then work with their private bank and not with the Fed. You know, you just have to work with them, tell them, hey, I'm dealing with these issues. I really need a break and hope that they'll be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we'll just yeah. we'll defer to whatever. But there's, I'm sure at least one dick ass underwriter that's like, fuck no, I want the money. Give it to me now. You don't get to not pay your loan. You know, I think that's very interesting. Um, well, and see, let's talk about the eviction thing for a second here. Because yes. that's- okay. Yeah, there's a lot of aspects. There's more than one aspect. The two major aspect is the renter or the leaser. Yes. And the building owner or property owner. Yes. Right. One has to make payments on their building and one has to make payments to the landlord so they can make payments on the building. The renter is now covered essentially more or less through the executive order and all these different um, eviction uh, suspensions, whatever you want to call them. And yeah. we have our, we have a state level one, we have the federal level one. Um, but is there much protection? I mean, the executive order that I, that I have in front of me now, it's only two and a quarter pages long. And a lot of it's kind of hard to, to read the first few times you got to go through it a few times, but yeah. like I, I didn't pull any kind of, I didn't pull anything out of it that really talks to like, property owners and landlords in this case, where it's protecting the renters. You know, you think like an apartment building in New York city, maybe you got 500 apartments in it. If, New York city. Yeah. How many people are not going to be able to pay their mortgages or their rents there? And now all of a sudden this building owner has to pay the mortgage to the bank. Does he have to seek right. eviction protection from his bank too now on his own side? And then where do all these, I mean, are these deferments? They got to be deferments because that right. money's going to go somewhere. They well, back even, in the loan. Even just people who own small multi-home properties. Yeah. You know, like said, like not even right. 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 Somebody owns a quadplex. Like I, the person, one of the people I was with last night owns a quadplex. Oh, yeah. And one of their renters has stopped paying their uh, utilities. Yeah. Just uh-huh. like stopped doing it. You know, but you can't. 
he can't evict them for not paying the utilities. He nope. just has to cover that part of the bill. And, you know, he's seen like he even discussed with her um, when all this happened, like with all of them, that none of them were going to have an issue paying their bills. They weren't, none of them were affected by COVID. They were all fine. She just stopped paying her utilities one day. Yeah. And so there's not even like a justification monetarily for it. It seems, you know, she just isn't doing it to like keep the extra money or whatever, you know, just isn't talking about it. And like, where does that leave this property owner? You know, he, if, if that's his only, not that he, sh- whatever, you know, but if that's their only source of income and they're mm-hmm. operating on a, like a fairly thin margin as it is, then like, what are they supposed to do? You know? And that's, I yeah. don't know. I, I am, like Larry said, and like we've we've discussed a million times, I'm a, I'm a capitalist deep in my bones, you know, mm-hmm. but there's still like, there are these cracks and stuff that people fall into that I'm like, I don't understand how this gets solved. You know, what do you do with this? Cause there's so much stuff that I feel like, especially involving COVID and the stimulus plans and the packages that it was just kind of a shotgun effect. And like, well, we'll kind of patch up the holes afterwards, you know, with all mm-hmm. the unemployment, there were so many people that had all this unemployment money that didn't need it. I mean, in oh, our yeah. own state, like what a hundred million dollars or something like that in unemployment fraud of people who collected it, that didn't need it. And they had to go back and get it afterwards, slow oh, yeah. down the process of processing it everyone for two or three weeks. Cause they had to just try and collect all this extra money. You well, know? they sent out that letter too for, our state that was like it basically sent to anybody that had collected unemployment. And it was basically like, if you've been taking this money, if you've been fraudulent, we're going to lock you in a cage for the rest of your life. Right. And it scared a lot of people. A couple of my employees that were collecting unemployment during the, the real, the hardcore shutdown, they got these notices. We're like, what the fuck does this mean? Does it sounds like I could give all this shit back. I was like, no, 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 no. That's just, because of all the fraud that's been going on, right. don't worry about it. You don't, you know, you're not doing anything fraudulent. You're good. But yeah. it's this is the broad hand of government trying to fix the the, the cracks and the holes and all right. this shit that only people on the ground know how to handle. Yeah. Government has they barely know how we live our lives on the day to day on a good day, much less when shit's hitting the fucking fan. Yep, it's not a good and, sign. And None just uh, like the. The eviction ban, like basically on what you said, like that's the problem with the eviction ban, right? Like, so everything he says, right? Like they do have mortgage forbearance. So like, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, so like in the CARES Act, they Mm -hmm. do have mortgage forbearance for a year or until the end of the pandemic, right? I think it's two or three months after the end of the pandemic or a year. So like, that's something that you could do. So I know different kind of property owners that have entered into a mortgage forbearance and it's the same, obvious, it's like the same thing as the student loan, right? So you, have, you need a feder, federally backed loan. Yeah. You do have one. They'll basically be like, hey, you don't, you don't have to pay your, your mortgage this month and you don't get any late fees, no interest, no more interest than normal. And mm-hmm. basically they take those months and put them at the end of the, end of the, uh, end of your 30 year cycle. But then what happened was when people started doing that, when this first popped off, the banks were just like, hey, like, no, we didn't agree to this. And like, there was a bunch right. of staff. And again, just like you're saying, Colin, because like they're trying to do it from so far away, like everything's messy on the ground. And then again, it's never the person. I'm not worried about like the wealthy person. I'm not worried about the person that's going right. to do it. The person who suffers is the person that doesn't have the resources. Like, like through like through this, I have a lot of smart. Like I'm the dumbest person I think I hang out with by far. Easily, <laughs> like, that's a good place a to be. Of, yeah. Exactly. But that, and then like Westwood has afforded me the opportunity again to just like have other people like distill things down. And then when someone who doesn't have those opportunities are getting beat up at the bottom, 
that's where I get that's where I get frustrated, right? And I don't yeah. know if that makes me less of a, of a capitalist, but like I just don't. I hate that the run of the force is always the people at the bottom, right? The person has a fourplex mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing, and right. now they're getting taken advantage of. And then the eviction isn't supposed to be like, "Hey, capitalist, like I own everything, get out." It's supposed to be a way for the person that's trying to grow their wealth to defend their wealth, right? No one's worried about Jeff Bezos staying rich. Worried about the person who's trying to build the wealth, build the cash flow, and support their families right. by mm-hmm. providing and you know taking. And so, like that's where I get frustrated, right? Like those are the things, right? So like another couple of years for that guy that owns the quadplex, maybe he could buy another one. Right. And then he starts growing that wealth and boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, you're providing a living for multiple people. You're trying to putting a roof over their head. You're giving them a place to live because you have these properties that, you know, whatever you can offer somebody a place to live. You know how it works. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still, they still have to pay the mortgage on the places like right. that. And then, if their bank goes, we didn't sign up for this crap, dude. You you still owe us money, man. Right. I mean, and I'm obviously sure there's definitely got to be different programs stuff out there well, for, and, for those types of people. And those issues that we saw with the banks also happened during the PPP program, right? The yeah. ones that Larry are talking about. When that first happened, there was no uniform way for businesses to apply for the program. So they're all doing it individually for the banks. And so many of the big banks and small banks wanted different information. <laughs> you know, it, no. I'm sure you know exactly. Yeah. So there was, it was hell for small businesses, large businesses, businesses alike that are just trying to apply for the program that can't find a consistent way to do it if they're in a different bank, you know, mm-hmm. or only a certain amount of money, a lot of like all this different stuff that happened in businesses yeah. just trying to apply for it. Just, I do have an anecdotal story about that too, but yeah, were you so you remember when this happened, Larry? Yeah, so I had clients come up. So like the PVP was like super great program in theory, right? Mm-hmm. But just like you said, uh all like it was decentralized. So there was money out there, and then every bank was doing it differently. So like literally the day it opened, I had probably six clients that had to do it, right? So I'm helping them do it. And the first one we're gonna go for Wells Fargo. Well, Wells Fargo sent out a notice on their thing that said, Hey, we closed. It had only been three hours into the day, right? So then you're looking for banks to find the funding and then you have to go to the bank, do a like a pre-screening level to know that you're not fake. And then they send you 12 documents. So I'm literally working in six different portals, working through a ton, like I won't say a ton, but multiple income statements, trying to get all this together to meet. There was no standard across the board. It was literally whatever they wanted. And then there was no way to know how much money you're going to get. Right. Cause like, again, you apply right. for X amount of money, but you don't get much. And then like, there was another veil there. So like you would have people come back like, Hey, I need $30,000 to run my business. And be like, okay, well here's two. And you're just like, like what calculation did you use to do this? Cause like the calculation to get it was simple, but like no one knew like what they were doing beyond that to give you. It. And there was just like, there was no, no back and forth. All the lines were busy for like a week, like all that. And then right. everyone's worried that the money's going to run out. And then this was going to drive before people get it. It was, it was, it was nuts. It was nuts. And then like, and then Congress pissed me off again. Cause in the middle of it, like Congress saw that this wasn't working and they did the first good thing I've ever seen them do, which was they passed an intern bill that was eight pages long to revise and fix up the program. And then I see this and I'm like, it, not only was it eight pages, but it was unanimous. Like everybody voted yes. Everyone right. said, yeah, this is great. Yeah, and I, I was just that. like, wait, 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 wait. We just agreed on something that was eight pages. What do you first. mean? What is this? <laughs> like, like, this is insane. And then now, like whenever I see whatever's going on now, I don't know who to be mad at, but I know, like I just want to lock them all in a room until like no one leaves until it's sorted out. Because like, again, 
Like, there's just – it was crazy. Sorry, I got off track there. But, yeah, it was – It was in every way. Just It was just explosions. So I was just like, all right, here we go. Right. So without crossing any, you know, client confidentiality boundaries or anything, yeah. out of the clients that were pursuing these PPP loans and stuff like that, would you say the majority of them were going through banks of more like the Wells Fargo size or were they going, you know, were a lot of them the more local community banks? So I, so I don't work with, so I work with smaller, right? So like maybe five million and below, right? That's generally okay. the demographic I work with, but I'm in a pod with a lot of accounts. I have a lot of account friends cause they, they get my accounting jokes. So, um, <laughs> so, but like generally like the smaller people, they, they saw a lot more success going to, uh, to neighborhood banks. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause again, it's a different, like when you go into chase Wells Fargo, you're just a number. Like, yeah. honestly, like you, if you were died, they would send your dog, your credit card and hope, hope that he would spend it. So like yeah. the back and forth and like knowing people had worked real well for them. So I told a lot of my clients, like, yo, just go to credit unions, right? Like you can mm-hmm. have dealers at the big banks if you want to, that's fine. But like most of the money we got, I would say the majority from the people I talked to and my clients, like we went to smaller banks. Okay. Because that's my anecdotal experience with it is with, you know, I have a member of my family that owns a local bank. Um, oh, okay. And I had asked him about this and their experience with it and stuff. And he kind of relayed to me that essentially um, they got inundated with PPP loan requests when they first started, right? But it was all these local contractors, local companies that had gotten loans from them before, had accounts with them, had a working business relationship. And they said within a week or two, 100% of the PPP loan requests, they were able to get in, get vetted, and everybody had their money. But I think it was because they all did that at that local level. Right. They did it with that small bank who are they, they already had a pre-existing relationship. I yeah. want to say that bank is anywhere in the nature of like a four to $5 million bank, you know, so it's, yeah. it's a small local bank. And it was nice to hear that at least on that level, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you're talking the big banks, man, it's, there's a reason I used to have bank of America. I've had chase bank at one time, um, right before that big Wells Fargo, um, fraud incident happened. I had a Wells Fargo for like six months and I was like, get me out of (laughs) here. Right. And so, but then once you go to a smaller bank like that, it is a totally different ball game. Yeah. Like you just, you might be a number to them still, but you're a number with some context right. versus yeah. like Chase. You're literally just whatever your fucking credit score is and how many dollars you got in. That's well, it. And I think before we move on to the rest of these uh, executive orders, memorandums, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, I think that it's important to note that all of these things we've just talked about are kind of examples of ways that the big kind of government is not made to serve everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, Government, even the wonderful one that we have here, is not in its purest, most perfect form designed to serve every single person in the country at the same time. Works. It's just not. It's designed. It can't effectively do, do it. You know, yeah. it cannot effectively do that. It's real and, good at giving money to states, and that's what I've drawn a lot 
from this coronavirus, you know, from all the pandemic to everything. It's just things that are better handled at a smaller level, you know, Mm -hmm. and all these things that have tried to be handled with big sweeping stimulus bills have had to be patched up afterwards with, like I said, even beautiful eight page pieces of legislation, you know, but they've all had to be dealt with on the back end. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we'll just throw shit at the wall and patch it all in in the end. And I, it's, it's concerning to see that. And then through all of the social unrest, how many people are pushing for like a more communist society, more Marxist society, yeah. more, more societal rule. You know, it seems yeah. odd that everything we've seen in the last nine months, eight months, mm-hmm. isn't evidence to the counter of that to yeah. all these people. You like, know? I'll pull out what I said in the pre-show about the post office. If it hasn't been good thus far, yeah. why do you want more of it? Yeah. It's been bad. It's been historically bad. They're not good at getting you money, period. Right. They have no idea what's going on. Your local does. Right. Your local has a better understanding. And we're doing this same thing, I think, on a bigger level, especially with these executive orders and things of the like of just ceding more power to the executive. They're like, just fix it for everybody. Just handle it for everyone, please. From the top, even though you can't see it, you don't know, like we just talked about all this stuff, you know, these four executive orders are going to be passed and then they're going to be, have to be fixed in the end. You know, there's, it's done for the presidential from the highest spot, the most power, you know, and it's not going to work like this. Like I said, even, even in the language of the executive order, it doesn't work the way that they said it's so even from the start, it's, it's not what he, it's not what it seems. It's not the way that it's described, you know, and it's because it, it can't work. It, It is impossible for, all however many people in this country what is it 30 million or something like that how, how many people are in the country way more than that <laughs> yeah way more than that try like i don't know t- it's like 300 and something 60 million like, yeah 320 something there you <laughs> go so 320 yeah it can't be done no. it's not effectively it Hard cannot no. be done you know we couldn't do it back when there was a hundred hundred million people here no or yeah. less than that it's just it's never never ever ever throughout the history of the United States been able to work from a federal top down way. Yeah. That's why states rights were so important. That's why your local governments are so important. Your fucking, the local dog catcher race should be more important than to you for, than voting for president. Yeah. It really should be. But, and so can we uh, pivot subjects real quick? Yeah. Um, You last night were having a conversation on Twitter with Mr. John Satak. This is Josh Keaton. Josh Keaton, sorry. Josh yeah. Keaton. About uh And Josh Keaton has an older brother named James Keaton that you might know. Sounds um, familiar. Yeah. Like the last Josh, name I'm highly impressed James by the Keaton, way. Josh Keaton and the middle brother. Josh, John, James. Uh I don't know. <laughs> You guys were having that conversation on Twitter last night that I jumped to right at the end there talking about the importance of local control and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What, first of all, that was about, I retweeted that. So everybody on the Twitters go and find that conversation because that's how all Twitter conversations should be. (laughs) And you had initially started with, I'm going to have to pull it up now because I don't quite exactly remember how you started that off. Um, oh, it was something about like stimulus not being important anymore. Like that the stimulus 
Heck, that's that's what I've been on this week. That's that's what I've been on this week. That's been my issue is, is that Congress was willing to walk away from the Capitol without having written a stimulus bill. Yeah. But they came back immediately so that they could hold the committee hearings for Lewis to join. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, it was, was super important. fucking disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a giant middle finger to people. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And like you were talking about, it's hard to decide who to support. You know. And there was this week that I just told everyone like, none of these people deserve your support. None no. of these people who walked away from while they're all at home tweeting about, you know, hey, people are struggling. Donald Trump is doing nothing. People are going to lose their homes. Donald Trump is doing nothing. And the moment he passes these executive orders, like this is unconstitutional. We need to challenge this. We cannot let the executive have this kind of power. It's ridiculous. He's he's a tyrant. He's trying to take control of the whole country. Right. But we're not going to do anything because we got to hold these committee hearings. Like yep. and I, the, exactly. the and, and but to be talking about the importance of it at the same time that mm-hmm. they're abdicating the responsibility that they have to do something about it is like shocking. And then to celebrate themselves at the DNC all in the same week, all these things happening at the same time is crazy. Mm-hmm. And the general public is more focused on the idea of the president trying to take control of the election via the post office that they don't give a fuck anymore. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even, the conversation has completely shifted. And I think the point that I was going to make was right there at the end. There was this fundamental misunderstanding. I think that we have as a populace with the federal government and especially the highest offices in the federal government, the speaker of their house, the Senate, majority leader, the Senate minority leader, all those, you know, and then the president of the United States, there has been so much celebrity put behind these people now, especially now when, you know what the rest of the the regular celebrities are doing? They're sitting at home on fucking, you know, on their social media because California is locked down tighter than a drum and they're making these fucking bullshit virtue signal posts. Yeah. So our regular celebrities are gone. Yeah. And so it's just, it's that much more open for President Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch, Mitch McConnell, McConnell to yeah. be our modern day celebrities. And I don't know at this point, especially now in 2020 with all of this, the election coming out, how can we remove the celebrity factor from politicians and get, get the populace back to focusing where the focus needs to be? Yeah. On your yeah. local representatives and even your federal state reps and stuff like this. But like the actual politics of the country should be hammered out on the state level and the federal government should just be chilling. Like we should almost not even give a shit who the president is. Yeah. But do you, exactly. would you say that perhaps it's, it's too far gone at this point and we'll never get back to a truly federalist Republic focused governmental system? Larry, you go I, first. I, I think that's tough. I mean, it's something I think about a lot, right? Like there's like, there's like two big things that I, I thought about is like when you talk about the celebrity of it and like how they get so much acclaim from like the famous people in our, like now like you have them like getting retweeted by the, the smart like celebrities or whatever. And like, so at what point have you ever seen someone gain more power and then give it away? Right. And that's what, that's what really frustrates me. Right. Cause like, Everybody's like, well, this is an unprecedented time. We need to take unprecedented measures, right? And I'm always just like, okay, that logic makes sense. But then when 9-11 happened, an atrocity, we need to go on alert. But has TSA gotten more perverse in their powers or have they gotten less perverse in their powers? Right. 
So I always I think come back we all know to the answer to that one. Exactly. Well, I'm pretty yeah, sure to come... your point that yeah. the Patriot Act was just re-signed just this year. Yep. You know, that it, all this has happened. We're pulling out of the Middle East because we're, we've handled terrorism. We've handled ISIS. We've handled all this shit. But God forbid we yep. get rid of the Patriot Act. The security you know? state yeah. infrastructure still stays in place. Right. Well, and, and, and that's what I, that's what I go to. And that's what I always think about. So like, are we too far gone? I am. I'm hesitant because people seem as though they're they're more comfortable with it that in a government that has shown that it's flawed like whether or not you think x right or y's right like it's flawed right and then people think the medicine for bad government is always more government right like have you ever seen someone be like you know what i took control of that whole process it didn't work i'm gonna let somebody else do it no it's I didn't have the right people in. I didn't have enough power. And then they argue, right? And it's manifested in, in this scenario, right? So, like, I follow the stimulus pretty closely. Excuse me. Just so I can explain it whenever it happens, right? Like, I enjoy doing it. It's, like, sick and perverted. I know, but I love it. Anyways, <laughs> like, if you, like, listen to Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell talk about stimulus checks, they're no longer, they're no longer arguing. Everybody agrees that people need more money. Everybody agrees that people are struggling, but why hasn't it passed? Because that now has become a pawn in the art, the, the great political debate now, right? Like, cause now it's not, well, we need to get money. It's just like, well, we give you money, but like they didn't sign our bill because like voting. I'm just like, okay, Hey, like voting serious. Like I got it. But again, we like, we started at this meeting saying we agree. Everyone is struggling. Right. But we've given these people so much power. We now have no way to circumvent or rectify the situation when everybody agrees on something and it's still not going forward because of all the other stuff's attached. Like that's when I think it's got too gross and too big because like now how can we as people who agree, like everybody agrees across the board and we have no way to fight for our voice. Right. And the people that are fighting for our voice, quote unquote, have, have, have taken the power that we've given them and have grossly used it. And we have no way to impeach them. Right. The first whole Russia gate was about Trump did bad, let's impeach him. But now we have negligence at the Congress level and we can't impeach, get rid of any of them except through voting, right? And then right. we can talk about voting, but like there's mm-hmm. no midterm way to get rid of someone not performing for us because they're public servants. And like, again, I, at a much lower level, am just a public servant, right? In the sense that when the army tells me to do something, I go, like when I mush when told, right? My guys do the same thing. Like we respond to whatever is told of us, right? Because we're public servants, right? We make a wage, but we work longer hours generally. Like we don't get kind of conversations. Like we're gonna be uncomfortable. Like the year and a half ago, it was just randomly in Eastern Europe, just hanging out, and like there was no talks, right? But like our our other public servants on the Capitol Hill, like there's no want to be uncomfortable to work for us. Because again, I just don't like having a party, the DNC, the RNC next week when everyone's still struggling, like. We're like, hey, like this is the worst pandemic ever. I'm just like, right. you're literally having a party telling me why you're great. But like, because again, it could not be Joe Biden's fault. He's not in office, but they, like, they're not pushing out any bills. Like they're still taking recess. Like they're still going home. Like they're still right. sitting on $200,000. So like we're so far gone, the people in power are not going to give it away. And we as like constituents think that more government fixes it, right? And we just, we, we have not identified a way to hold them accountable. So- and to to that point about the stimulus bill, um, well, I just real quick, I do want to say the there is a way to do it. I think it's incredibly complicated, but the recall process 
It's essentially forcing, Mm -hmm. you know, you, it's like, it happens mostly on like the governance level on the state governance level. People try to recall the governor. You've heard that probably before, right? Yeah, but you can't recall everybody in Congress you, you who needs can't. to be recalled. And There's see, way too many of people. And for that's what that I'm saying. Like that. technically, I just didn't want that to go misunderstanding that. Like yeah. there is technically a way, but realistically, yeah. it's not possible. And we've seen that with some smaller positions, like you said, with yeah. judges and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's we to Larry's point. This is yes. this issue is too large for a recall yeah. to even the standard yeah. course of action. That you, yeah, like you said, we need clean sweep exactly. Um, and to the point about the stimulus bill, right? And the confusion about the powers even is so much of the argument of the stimulus, like I said, turned to mail-in ballots, right? Yes. And so much of that, the blame got shifted to the president. You know, the president won't give us $35 billion. Oh, he won't do this from you. Congress, right? Mm-hmm. When Congress has the power of the purse, the president oh, has thank no you. power to thank give you. or take away money from anybody, you know, but that's even the media talking point. Oh, well, the president won't see the $35 billion. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember who I was talking to, but I told them, I've told several people, there is not a person in the country that could convince me that if a stimulus package hits the president's desk that has $35 billion for the mail office, he won't sign it just because that money's in there. There's not a person in the country that can convince me that because it's not fucking true. If a stimulus bill hits his desk, he's signing it. Even if he hates every piece of it, he's signing if it's passed both houses because it is- Especially this time of year. It is political presidential suicide to do anything else. So I don't, the argument of him denying the money is- it's not even a straw man. It's a lie. It is a yeah. 100% lie about the powers of the executive and of the legislative branch. Mm-hmm. And it's gross to watch that happen while all of this, actually the party's happening. The, yeah, the yeah. posturing is happening, you know? Oh, yeah. And Colin and I talked a little bit in the pre-show or maybe even before that of the clips we've watched of the DNC, because I, I can't bring myself to watch the feed. You know, I can't like just watch it, but I've seen many clips just from yeah. other shows. And there's been almost no talk of policy. No. It's all just Donald Trump is terrible. We need change in the office. This has to shift. This can't continue. Even the best one that I saw was, and not to like take it off, but was was Michelle Obama talking about how we don't need someone who puts kids in cages. Yeah. You so, mean uh, you mean husband? the policy that started during your <laughs> husband's administration? We uh, don't need someone... That's the craziest thing is that it's not, there's no discussion of even realistic policy. It's just this man's bad man, you know, orange Orange man bad. bad. Yeah. We need a shift. Like it's, and it's crazy to watch that, you know? Um, And so my answer to your question would be similar to Larry's that the people that are there are, are way too far gone. There's Mm -hmm. at this point, I mean, Hashtag flip Congress. Just turn it over. I mean, we need everybody to reapply for their jobs and try again, and not even in a standard election process. Mm -hmm. You need to go on stage for an hour and speak. We need three people standing in front of you, Mm -hmm. fact-checking you the entire time. And you need to talk for an hour about what you're going to do, what you've done, and why you deserve this job. Mm -hmm. And the moment that you lie, one of those three people catches it, they slap a red button, they say, that's not true. You need to take back what you just said because this it's half true. It's this. Mm-hmm. I want three Snopes people, not from Snopes, but Snopes style people saying yeah, that's yeah. fact checking every time. And I want to see it 535 times 
and I'll watch every single fucking one of them. Even if they don't work for me, even if they're not from my state, I don't care. We need uh, from the top down. I mean, a, a fresh start for everybody working there because anybody who is okay with leaving Congress without a stimulus bill to bitch about people dying to then come back just for committee hearings doesn't deserve to work there. Yeah. There's not a single person. Uh, there's a lot of people in Congress and Senate that I love. They don't deserve their job anymore. It's you're no longer doing it. You're abdicating the responsibility and blaming the executive who has nothing to do with that process at all. Yeah. You just don't do it, you know? So you're waiting and waiting and waiting until he has to do something and he pushes you and then you blame him for it, you know? Yep. I'm not a fan of the president. I don't sit here and champion him. We take shots at him all of the time. But you've literally pushed, let's take Donald Trump out of it. You've pushed the office of the executive to the point that they have to act because you won't do it. And then you immediately legally challenge it because he shouldn't be doing it in the first place. You force him into a constitutionally compromised position to then take legal shots at it. Mm -hmm. All to try and get Joe Biden in the office. And I, it's the most hollow pursuit I think I've ever seen because if you know anything about politics you're sitting back and you're like so you know there's no way that donald trump doesn't win right like we've (laughs) we've seen all this happen before i mean and if this is the argument is that you're terrible there's no way that was the argument last time that was the case against him last time is that donald trump is terrible you know that's not going to work now it's been four years later things are even more divisive those people you couldn't flip last time are even more deeply ingrained in what they did before you know so i mean it's i have in my soul all of the faith in the world in our system in our founding ideals in the beginnings of this country Mm -hmm. but the people that we have allowed to take those positions do not hold the same values that we do. They don't Mm -hmm. care about the constitution. They don't care about the bill of rights. They don't care about people who own quadplexes, who own small businesses, who want to start and small companies that are sharing opinions that are not publicly popular. You know, they don't care about those things. Mm -hmm. Those are not the people we need running this country. So at that point, would you say that it's the populace's fault for continuing to elect these people? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is just what we deserve. Yeah, uh, we definitely distance ourselves away from information, right? Like I've always thought it was a two-prong attack, right? So like I'm, again, libertarian vein. Um, I've always been a fan of not no government, but less government, right? A smaller, Mm -hmm. limited power government. But that that makes it imperative that we as the people, our culture has to be one of learning, teaching, and being great people. And I don't know if we still have that culture of learning and try to absorb fact and then trying to make everybody's level or like everyone around us experience better. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that's where we're kind of struggling is the culture component and that's fine. But like the big one that I'm seeing is like this new war on free speech. And I was listening to yes. Jordan Peterson that kind of summed it up the best. And he was just like, we need free speech. Like we have to be willing to make someone uncomfortable in order for us to think, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think when we got so aggressively attached to feeling great at every time, we kind of got away from a culture of trying to find what's right. right. And now we're kind of stuck in, I want to be right and I want to feel good, right? Because I will say like when this whole, when the George Floyd thing happened and the Black Lives Matter reemerged, I had some, not, I won't say heated, but I had some arguments and I got, I got crushed. Like I got fucking handled. Right. Cause I, ju- I didn't have the, I didn't have the facts, 
And so my opinions, whether or not where they came from, they were, they were just built on bad facts. So that shit got crushed, right? So I, and I think through that process, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're so worried. I, you can call it offending people. We're so worried about protecting our narrative. We're so worried about being right that our culture of just wanting to strive for more is kind of decaying. So I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I do blame the populace a lot, but then again, like I'm part of it, right? Like the social media culture, which I, I love, I love social media, right? I can just delete off my phone because I spend too much time on it. And I think that's, that, that that's a manifestation of us trying to spend the least amount of time on super complex things, but holding on to those super tidbit snippets memes of like what's really going on so right i think that's uh, i i do blame the populace but i acknowledge that i'm i play a role in it you know uh-huh. and what i would add to that what i wrote down kind I of mean, again speaks yeah. to what you're saying is the biggest part i would blame on the populace is shouting down the opposing voices that are yeah. trying to bring attention to this type of stuff and not even just strictly opposing voices, but people like us, like Jordan Peterson, like Larry's talking about that are really just trying to talk about the root constitutional places that the country started and expose how this leadership, these people Mm -hmm. don't fit into this, you know, and people like us, people, all the people that we've talked about before, you know, get shoved into the corner of radical ideologies and, you know, white supremacists, racists, whatever, transphobes like Jordan Peterson got, because they're talking about structural problems that exist mm-hmm. at the top that people aren't willing to listen to, you know, because of that populist attention on that celebrity factor, like you're talking yeah. about of just of politics and aggression and not wanting to be uncomfortable. And that's not right because I don't like it, you know, we see that type of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. if something isn't not right, just because it makes you uncomfortable, you just don't like it, you know? Yeah. And the issue that I think I've used as an example, the most amount of times is abortion, right? Mm-hmm. When people talk about people who are pro-life, right? And they're just, oh, you want to control women. You want to do all this stuff. You you know, it's not about any of this stuff. There's so many people that hold pro-life views that from a religious aspect, from whatever reason, right? truly morally feel that abortion is murder and mm-hmm. that's why they oppose it right not because they'd want to control what you do or don't want you to have options because they f- they truly feel that it's murder you know and if you discount that to just controlling someone's body that's not an honest conversation it dehumanizes that person's perspective it takes it completely out of any legitimacy at all it's just mm-hmm. about control oh you just you just want to control me you just hate women you know and that's that's dangerous, you know, mm-hmm. to not to, to do that to people's opinions, you know, and that's happening all of the time. Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of, I think goes down to a deep, the, the farther we get away from, from the founding principles, right? Yeah. The founding principles. You got to remember like we are a nation founded from refugees from a, different political system right Mm -hmm. we left that and then we created this thing because this is what we wanted our society to be based off of this is why we always think about social and political commentaries because the two are completely intertwined the only reason we have this concept of liberty and this idea of how we're supposed to live our lives and how we should think about things like abortion and all these hot button deep issues because they're deeply fundamental. Right. Like the farther we get away from the original perspective, the more complicated our societal woes get. Mm-hmm. And so just by 
nature of divorcing ourselves through bigger and bigger government because we're we're starting to f- get away from responsibility mm-hmm. and we're starting to look more towards safety and we want the government to watch out for us. More and more offices, alphabet soup, yeah. uh, organizations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ATF, all, all these different that things. Is that is yeah. fundamentally a further retreat from the founding principles. Yeah. And yeah. so with yeah. that comes these problems. And again, back to the original question about like, can we fix it? I mean, I don't have a lot of faith in it, I guess, but I I like listening to you guys. It makes me feel a little bit more hopeful because you're obviously like, no, the system's solid. We just need to get back to the system. And I just don't know if people are willing to make that sacrifice. A lot of more people are going to get sick. A lot of people are going to die. It just requires people to not, to rely on themselves again. More and rely on your community more, which yeah. we, we've forgotten how to do through a generational gap. We have no generational memory about how to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think like you and Larry were both talking about, because we're so, so far gone, you know, yeah. it's going to take like a lot of, a lot, lot of deprogramming, you know, yeah. it's going to take a lot of switching people. Fucking from, brainwashed. Yeah. From the side that they were originally on to the side that they really feel, you know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, when yeah. we, we've talked about it a thousand times. When we first started, I was way farther left. You were way further right, you know, mm-hmm. and we have almost switched sides in that aspect, you know, yeah. and it's, and we're because- both lost souls at the, <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and it's, lots it's gonna, politically homeless. It's going to take a lot of people like that consuming content that makes them uncomfortable to make them question their own views, to realize where they really align at, you mm-hmm. know, um, and it's going to take a lot of people consuming content like this to realize these conversations are happening to realize that the f- things they're thinking when they're in their room alone are not radical ideology. Like they're being told, you know, yeah. uh, because that's, and we talked about in the pre-show, you know, there are so many things that we've just talked about here that mm-hmm. modern day media ideology, they're radical. You can't think like that anymore. That's not how it works. The government doesn't work that way. And it's not, these are traditionalist, originalist views of how the government was designed, how the country was designed to work. These are not radical. This is how it was meant to be. This is how they laid it out, Mm -hmm. you know, but when you radicalize that type of idea, you radicalize those people, Thomas Jefferson, Frederick fucking Douglas statues being torn down, right? When you radicalize that type of thought right there. Yeah. It's you're blowing up the foundation. You are completely shifted from what we were actually found it to be so that you can blame the founding for the problems, you know, and that's not the case. You, you have to shift the ideas so much and shift the people so much away from what they really are so that you can try and place the blame on them, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like you said, all these problems are not from because we stuck too close to founding ideology. It's because yeah. we tried to make the government too big. It's because we ceded power in too many different directions that mm-hmm. it wasn't designed to be at, you know? Well, we forgot that the constitution is a, is a bargain that we all have to make a deal with. Yeah. This is our society. We make that societal commitment and we've generationally just decided that we don't want to keep that commitment anymore. Yeah. And so we've lost that. I just keep coming back to this word responsibility. Yeah. We just, we've lost it societally. A hundred percent. And so like two things on that, you guys both have two good points. Uh, the first, have you, are you guys flat? Let me rephrase that. Cause I'm not a flat, flat earther. In any, I'm not a flat earther in any capacity. Have you seen the documentary on Netflix about the flat earth community? No, I have not. Oh, you need to watch it. One, it's hilarious. It might be in my queue though. 
Yeah, you I'm need to. I highly recommend it. I'm a big fan. I think it's called. It's either behind the curve or catching up to the curve. Regardless, there's one portion in it <clears throat> when he's talking. The guy who like started and he was just like, I would never leave this community. He's like, this is where all my friends. And if I left, then I would have no friends. And I was just like, he's like, I'd have no incentive and like no one to hang out with. And the people wouldn't accept me. And then the people I left would hate me. And I really thought it was an insight on like the the psychology of what's going on. I think some people are scared that like if you are to change your mind, because like again, if you're like a Black Lives Matter, you're out there writing and then you stop. You're like, this isn't right. This is what I want. No one out there is going to treat you well. And then no. how many communities on the other side, right? And this is what I tell my more conservative friends is you have to be accepting of people whenever they do make the change. Because what happens is, is when people make the change or try to make the change or try to think differently, they get beat down from both sides. And then they're yeah. just like, well, now I'm just homeless and I have no friends. And I'm just like, we just, we need to be a little understanding, right? Like we need to be more understanding it, it just as a whole. And then on the second point, Colin, you're talking about the constitution, so, like, again, I can't impress you guys enough. I was a gigantic loser in college. So, most of the college, <laughs> I carried around a constitution with me, right? Like, everywhere I went, I keep it in my breast pocket, my back. Love back it. Pants, yeah, right? we actually both, these are both ours here. It's yeah. my favorite document ever written. And I think the constitution's big is because, like, everybody demonizes our past, right? The big one right now that we've all been hearing, it's like slavery, right? Right. And the constitution was written and there were slaves, but the constitution is like a promise to improve yourself every single day, right? right? It's the promise that every single day that I'm going to be better in support of the country. And like, when you're talking about responsibility, I think we forget that like it was created and perfect with a perfect vision. Right. And Vince Lombardi said it, like, I'm going to pursue perfection. And while I won't get there in the process, I will achieve excellence. And right now I feel like everybody's like, well, the roots of America is bad. The culture of America is bad because, you know, free speech is bad. Capitalism is bad. So America must be bad. When America picked the best economic ideology, capitalism, because it provides for the most rights, like human rights, in order to, but like it's incumbent when we sign the contract, when we take this, that we have to every single day work to be better, right? And like, that's what's always, you know, like helped me try to get better is because like, Every single day, I'm making a, a commitment to our founding fathers. And everyone's just like, well, Larry, they would have hated you, you're black. But like, even Frederick Douglass, when he talked and when he spoke on like why black people should be released from slavery, he spoke about the Constitution. Martin Luther King spoke about the Constitution because, again, it's like a promise of always trying to be better, right? And so, like, everyone's like, yo, slavery. And I'm just like, well, we wiped out slavery. And then everyone's just like, Jim Crow laws, like, we wiped those out. Like, the KKK, like, now the KKK, like, if someone came up to you, like, yo, I'm part of the KKK, like, they're inherently a loser, right? Yeah. So, like, no. we are getting better. And so when everyone's like, well, we have so many problems, it's like, we're not there yet. It's not done yet. The experiment's not supposed to end at 220 years. Like, we're supposed to continue to get better. And I right. think that's what's happening is like everyone demonizes so much of what we are doing and what we did. Like everyone's like, America's never been great. And again, I don't know what Trump was talking about when he said it, but like to say that like when people band together to stop slavery, that we weren't great, when people band together to overthrow German movement and encroachment onto Europe, like we weren't great. When people charged Normandy beaches to release the Jewish people, like we weren't great. Like we've been imperfect. But like to say that like those people weren't trying their best to live up to something bigger, like that is I think it's gross, but I think that's been so perversive into our culture. Like people like people like, well, America sucks. And I'm just like, like that's a that's a tough bill for me. So like 
Yeah. Just on those two points. Like, I just feel like we, I don't know when it happened, but like we forgot our contractual obligation. And like for now, for some reason now we think America's horrible and I'm just like imperfect, but we have 320 million people trying to get on the same page. No one has this population size except for who China, who's forcing everyone to get on the same page and India who, again, I don't know much about them, but seem like they're getting through the same kind of turmoil as we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're just, notoriously always on our side too like india's yeah. always been like a clutch ally for whatever <laughs> reason you know because i mean the western world has fucked them up yeah. pretty hard but like they're like no nah, that's cool now we're, we're all we're all good um on that note i was gonna say I've, I've been watching uh the umbrella academy lately right okay and i just started watching the the second season and it's kind of it takes place around uh the assassination of jfk's time okay and they I like started that. off the other day by showing him on TV and he said his famous line of, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Right. Yeah. That I think is more centered towards that kind of social contract that we have with yeah. our country. You couldn't, you couldn't even begin to, to push those ideas at this point. Right. It's all about what government owes us for, their past discretions yeah you know which through the necessity is the society's dis- discretions you know yeah and i think to to larry's point i've i've offered more times in the last four months to debate people about the greatness of america than i ever have in my whole life like so <laughs> many people just talking about it, it's so terrible you know from the roots it's terrible so i and i'm not like calling about like you can't argue against it but mm-hmm. i've never had to, to have that have that discussion with anyone before on a legitimate basis, you know, but more people that we actually know, like our friends and I'm like, I, I will literally debate you and prove to you that America is the greatest country to have ever existed before. Like on the whole planet, Mm -hmm. this is the best one to ever have existed that you can do more things here that you could never do anywhere else. I'll, I'll literally do it and I'll win. You know, can I ask you, is it very difficult? No, I'm not yeah. on my part. I don't not. I was going say, it's you, almost, it feels easy if you're willing to just look. I don't generally have to get past the founding documents. Yeah. You know, I'm like, there's, it just doesn't, it starts there. You know, this document protects you. I mean, instills and protects more things for you than any other country's founding documents ever have. You know, yeah. these things are not promised anywhere else in the whole planet, you know? Yeah. It just doesn't happen. There are many other places that have similar things, yeah. you know, very similar. But, but it, quite, not, it ain't quite it, there. It's not no. as solid as like, nope, fuck that. You have it here, you know? And it's, I think so many people, I've had a lot of these discussions over the last few months, right? Since all the protests, <laughs> all that, everything, just to, oh, America has all these problems and all this. And the one thing in the original that I think I've boiled it, down to a lot of the times is people not understanding that the government doesn't provide you these protections, right? That mm-hmm. that document is saying the government doesn't give you these things. It, yeah. it, it is not provided to you. They are inherent within you yeah. because you're a person. That's but the we're, concept of negative rights. But we're right. saying because you're in these borders, we're going yeah. to protect yeah. that, right? Yeah. You have it as a human being, but here we protect it because you're here and you're in this country, you know? Yeah. And if people just, they, if God, 
completely away from that. You know, yeah. and it's it's the government doesn't provide these things. Their only choice with your rights is to recognize and protect them. That's it. You know, they don't, they don't get to infringe all these laws that all, all this extra bullshit, like you talked about, you know, these are not things that the government is designed to do from the founding and inherently in that they are flaws because you're going against the construction, the design of the country that was designed to be perfect at the end, you know, you're fucking it up. You're ruining it. Mm -hmm. You are going to make it break. And that's where we're at now. We've added so much stuff you're going to break it, you know? Yeah. And it's, that's terrifying, you know? And, and if we don't understand even that core part, I know if, if everyone understood that, I mean, how many laws could be stricken off the books immediately because people would be pissed off about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So be like, well, that doesn't, that's not a protection of my rights. This doesn't defend them. This isn't an, a reflection of that. You know, it's at least a third, all, um, probably all the, not to give Trump too much credit, but all this stuff that he's been talking, all the regulations to cut, you know, probably at least that many you could slice because they don't actually protect your rights. Uh-huh. You know, people don't understand that. They're, they're too they're, afraid for the loss of jobs. You know, what do you do with all these people that work for the ATF? I, fuck them. I don't know. Work <laughs> exactly. in the private industry. I don't know. That's not your job is unconstitutional. Yep. You shouldn't be having it. You know, that's yeah. unfortunate. And I, I feel for people losing their jobs. But if your job is based inherently in something that's unconstitutional, mm-hmm. I don't you we'll find a about, place for you somewhere else, but I don't know what, yeah. uh, you know. So you want to talk about doing something for the greater good, which is so common on the left, that concept. Yeah. That's it. It's called yeah. ripping the Band-Aid off. Yeah. That's what's yeah. for the greater good. There's going to be a, a lot of struggles if we were to get back to normal. A lot of yeah. people are going to die. A lot of people are going to become homeless, that type of shit. But at the end of it, do you want America to be around? Do you want a, a nation that was founded in the idea that the only purpose for government was to make sure that your rights are provided to or are protected? Other than that, live life. Be free, yeah. and we'll we'll write laws. We'll create our own rules, but in the end, we got you. But yeah. So let me ask you guys this, and then we'll move on to another topic, okay. right? And we'll start with Larry, and then we'll ask you um, because of all these conversations I've had about America being the best, right? And even fucking founding founding fathers, right? Having to defend people like Thomas Jefferson that they're like, well, he owned slaves, and like George Washington. But, uh, yeah, I, I've so many people that I've been. Oh, I don't. That's that's another deal, right? Yeah. But um, Thomas Jefferson in particular was just always grinding my gears when I was hearing people talk about him. You know, I'm like, I don't. Of all the guys you're gonna pick, like the you can't, you can't Not with this one. one. Um, so, but anyway, what would be your number one argument against communism and for capitalism? Man. So um, in, a, in a real capitalist society, I think capitalism is accentuating growth while maintaining human and civil rights. And I think communism is growth through sacrificing human, human and civil rights, which in my mind breaks down individual thought growth and uh, what's it called? Oh my God! When you, when you, which 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 degrades growth while capitalism just causes it to grow. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's that's always been my biggest thing. It's just uh, I don't like communism is the centralization of power and the centralization of planning, right? Central planning, and then capitalism is supposed to be decentralized in its approach to allow for you to achieve your dream while 
not infringing on somebody else's rights, you know? And so I think that's the best way to tie into a social contract is through capitalism. Because again, is it easier for everyone? If I put a room of people in a room, a hundred people in a room and I said, Hey, don't kill each other, but like, you know, play nice or in communist rules, it's like, Hey, everybody has to do one through 50 things. Otherwise you're living outside our bounds. Like which one's going to be harder to work together and which one's going to grow more because of the new ideas that come out, the ingenuity, that's the world's again board before the ingenuity. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my biggest case for capitalism. Or good case, solid case, Colin. Um, I mean, it's essentially along the same lines, but I'll say, I'll just cloak it in a different way. We'll call it, do you like choice? Do you like to be able to have the freedom to decide what you want to do with your life? then capitalism is the way to go because capitalism is literally all about choice. Communism is literally you follow the rules that we tell you to follow and you don't have to worry about anything else. You just do what you're told and you're good. You don't have any choice. If you want choice in life, if you feel like you want to carve out your own living and go your own way, capitalism is the way to go. I think it's that simple. I love it. It could be that simple. Okay. I gotta, I gotta run, hit the head real quick if that's cool. Yeah. Okay. I'll be right back. Yeah. Get out of here. Go. Okay. So let's start. Let's go ahead and start talking about you, Larry. We'll yeah, talk to you good. about personal life, um, you know, sports and stuff like that. Um, and then I think we can shift it into school pods. You know. Um, okay. So were you born in this area, or did you move here? So I was born in Bremerton, but we only stayed there for about like a year and a half. And then my mom was in the Navy. So we went to Guam and then Hawaii. And then I got back when I was like seven or eight. And then I stayed there for till I left. Okay. Um, And you have a couple of siblings, right? There is a surprising amount of, I guess it's not surprising, maybe weird amount of articles about you on the internet, you know, that was just like odd to I mean not like not like intrusive but it was just weird to I think you're probably the first person we've had on that has like New York Times articles written about them like Bleacher Report articles stuff like that you know um and so you have siblings right do you just have sisters is that what it is yeah I have two sisters and we're just hanging out they have five kids between the two of them so that's pretty much all the kids from our family good lord yeah and are you where are you in that order I'm the baby. I'm actually, my older sister is 10 years and my youngest sister is six years older than me. So like, oh. I was like a quasi uh, only child. Cause like when my sister left, what, when I was 12, I was just, right. it was just me and my mom in my house the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. My sister is seven years older than me. And yeah, she's exactly. only like blood sibling I have. So I know exactly what that is like. Um, when did you start? Okay. So let's start here. Your mom, was in the military and it said in one of these articles that your parents got divorced right at what age were you when your parents got divorced i think i was eight yeah eight i was like yeah it's nine or eight because i was good in third or fourth grade and so did it affect you much at the time or was it just as you got older that you started to deal with that no i I think it was when i got older i think you kind of you kind of realize like the gravitas the, the significance of not having the parent there day to day. I think right. that was uh, a little different and you kind of don't realize it. And again, so like, you know, I'll say it, even though I hate to say it, I don't want to gender all people. Like there is no rule that you have to fulfill, but generally people, the mom kind of nurtures you, raises you. And then like the dad, when you're older, like answers all the tough questions, you know? And then so yeah. 
there's a lot of figuring out your own way that like I, there was a little bit of loneliness. And then like, you know, it would be sad sometimes where like you would have a big game or you do something cool. And then like everybody else's dad was there and yours wasn't just, well, why, why is my dad here? So he's like, right. I think the older I got, I, I had to kind of come to terms with like how it affected me more than when I was a kid. Cause I mean, I was, again, I was an idiot. I was a, I love to eat though. I ate a lot of food. So I was a fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, don't, you don't really think about it too much when you're a kid. Right. It's, um, same deal as having older siblings. My parents divorced when I was two. Um, and yeah. so I didn't remember at the time, you know, but the same deal, only as you get older, do you realize the stuff that you have to figure out for yourself, you know, exactly. the, especially as having a, a single mom who's providing for your whole family is I'm sure worked a lot, you know, in the military, right. she's got to do stuff all the time. You know, when I, I read one of those articles that she was a chief warrant officer, right? Yeah. So she's working a lot. She's dealing with a lot of people. She's putting out a lot of fires, dealing with a lot of shit. Um, so I, I feel very much for you um, yeah. as to how hard it is to figure some of that stuff out in being a yeah. young adult. Um, did you find any of that to be easier because you were in the military that you had more male influences there to try and learn some of that stuff? Um, so I know a lot of it's internal, like just figuring yeah. things out for yourself. But um I know that like when I started to work, I had a harder time bonding and getting along with like male coworkers um, because I had grown up with my mom and my sister and my grandma. And I always had been more friends with girls, just had an easier time working with women, dealing with them. And so I had a harder time fitting into that. Yeah. Like type of environment you know yeah like yeah. you know who i work with tyler drew they're all sports yeah. guys you know so they and you know they got all the other dads all that stuff so they're all very much of that standard like type of jock mentality you know yeah. did you have a hard time fitting into that military lifestyle or did you find it easier to learn about that stuff because of that so i think it, it, it kind of so th- throughout high school i had a lot of uh i had a lot of good male role models right so like even when i was I don't know if I ever acted out because I didn't do anything crazy, but like my, if you ask my family, when was Larry the most difficult to handle? It was seventh grade, um, sixth and seventh grade. And like, cause I was just dumb. I thought like, you know, I thought being bad was cool. I thought breaking the rules was cool. And my next door neighbor, he was just like, listen, like if you keep doing this, uh, you, if you keep living your life like this, you're just going to go to prison. And I literally, I remember at Fairview walking up the hill from the football game when he told me, He's like, yo, call the cops for your mom, leave her. Like, your life's gonna be horrible. And he gave this long talk. And like, that was one of like the pivotal moments that I've had that kind of led that long line of just like male influence that kind of led me. So like when I got to uh, West Point, like it wasn't that it was a hard time fitting in. It was just the the structure to it all, right? So like, for like you, you, you do a lot of dumb things in college and you just can't at West Point. So like when I have... Like when I'm taking 24 credit hours a semester, when I have like treatment at 5 a.m., practice after school, I can't leave on weekends for the first three years. I didn't have a car. Like it was more the structure. And then I was on the football team. So like my teammates, like you create a bond there. So like they did a great job taking care of me. Right? I'm not the only one in my situation. So like that right. combination of like structure, teammates, and like the male role model influence, like that's that was really good for me. Like honestly, like I – I don't personally think I would have made it out of a normal college. Like, cause again, I'm just like, I'm not always as disciplined as I should be. Right. And it, it like, it shows in my eating probably more than anything, but I'm telling you, like when you have someone like making you be somewhere at 5.00 AM, like you want to spend a lot less time up after 8.45. Right. Yep. Right. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, at what age did you start 
playing sports? Obviously, football is the one that you found the most success in. But you played other, so you played basketball and stuff too, right? Because you yeah, said you played, played against Drew. So, yeah, I, I played sports pretty much all my life. Probably third grade is when I started playing organized sports. Um, I basketball is my all time favorite sport. Love basketball. I can play for hours. Um, when it was like, it was probably my junior year. I will say going into my senior year of like uh, Olympic. When we went to the Gonzaga camp and like I saw what Division One players look like and like I was just like, man, I'm five foot three and a half. Like I'm never gonna play basketball. And then that's kind of I saw some success early in football, but that's kind of like it was like the final kill for football. But like I've been playing since I was in third grade. I mean, I've always liked sports, you know, like mainly college football, like the video game really like fueled that that one yeah. that gusto, like wanting to be on that game. Um, but yeah. Since my life, it's been pretty much a part of it. It's kind of kind of pulled me through Olympic because like I, I wasn't lost, right? I won't say I didn't have any friends because like obviously like, I I was known, but like I was just, I felt kind of a loner because like I, I I have a very business approach to my life, right? So like when I entered into high school, like you can ask a family, I was just like this is literally getting me ready to play college football. So like every like I, I didn't I didn't go out at parties, I didn't go out on weekends, I slept more, I worked out more. I was like because like this is what Division One athletes do. So like. I made sure that I had lifting all six semesters I was there because, like, that's what Division One athletes do. I don't go out to parties because that's not what Division One athletes do, right? So, like, that that that, is, that made it weird, but yeah. So you didn't do any of that shit when you were in high school? No, like I didn't smoking have to drink and drinking alcohol. none of that. Like, no, I didn't have to drink alcohol until I was 20, 20, almost twenty-two in the February before I turned twenty-two in March. So yeah, oh so yeah, I, like, see that. I I was just like, that's not what athletes do. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, so let me ask this question. Did you take that, that same kind of commitment to discipline with football and stuff at that time? Did you take that like in high school? Cause it sounded like you had a very pivotal shift in how you ran your life at that point. Did you yeah. carry that into the academics too? Uh, I, I won't, not as much. Like I was solid academically. Right. So like I had like a three, five, three, six. I think my problem was like academics came easier for me. Like, I would, I would push myself towards maths because I don't, I'm not a very good writer and I read very slow, right? So like if you ask my family who've edited a lot of papers, my family reads books just at a brilliant speed. I read super slow. So like I at only just focused on spending as much time in the math as, as possible and then kind of just slid under the radar and all the reading uh, literature and things of that nature. So I don't know if I took that same kind of discipline approach. I pretty much I just I existed in high in high school academia because I, I just it wasn't very it sounds high. Like you, I was so saying, like, it kind of sounds like you you found like a niche, like you got into the math and then yeah. you kind of made that your thing. And yeah, yeah and the yeah. rest of when you think about what high school is, like I can see you just you just do what you need to do to get the grade and then you move on, but you don't necessarily okay. dive into it. But um, well, I just, I'm asking this because you know to get into West Point is not a small thing. You know, it's, it's not a very easy endeavor. I mean, was, when did you decide that you wanted to go to West Point in high school? So, uh, I got recruited by them. Um, okay. So I got recruited by the football team. Yeah. By the football team. And, uh, my mom, again, bless her heart, hardest working woman, super smart. She was very, um, she impressed on me while trying to get me to achieve my wildest dreams that like, what are you going to do after football, right? Like, she'd always be like, what if you get hurt? Like, what are you going to do at football? So, like, when I got recruited by West Point, I didn't know much about the school. I only knew about the game, Army-Navy game, because my mom's a 24-year vet. Um, but it was the number one school in the nation. And then when I mm-hmm. went on a visit there, 
they were just like, listen, you come here, like you'll never have to worry about finding a job ever. And like in my mind, that's what my mom had impressed on me. She's just like, you want to be able to take care of yourself and your family. So that's kind of when I got turned on. It was probably that junior year. I, I got that recruiting letter. And then I was, I, I won't say I was hooked from the beginning, but then I just, I, I really just didn't quit. That was the key. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I thrived at West Point. So the military aspect of West Point, yeah. how did that play into the decision? So I, it, it was weird. I think uh, my mom wasn't super pumped. Uh, you know, army, everyone thinks you're just going to go to the front line. Just, you know, go to, yeah, right. I mean, had you thought about the military side of that when you, when you, you know, got picked up for the football aspect of it? Yeah, I've, I've, so I respect, again, I say it all the time. I respect my mom more than anyone in the world Mm -hmm. and the military for her was a very foundational in her growth. So I've always felt that like serving your country isn't expected or owed, but like, it's one of the greatest things that you can do. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't, like, super pumped, super knowledgeable about it. But, like, at the same time, like, serving our country, like, I, I took a lot – I take I take and took a lot of pride in it, right? Like, if I'm going to go there, like, go in the number one institution, then after I'm going to serve in the Army, which, like, I don't know much about. But, like, I can – I know for a fact that I'll respect and have respect for myself in doing it. Had you considered going into military at all before you got this recruiting letter? Yeah, I, I talked about it. I it was It was a backup plan. I didn't think I was going to make it in college football. And I don't like in my heart of hearts when I was at ninth grade, I was like, if I don't make it in football, like I can't just go to college. Like it was just, I don't find school fascinating. I'm either all in on a subject, math, sciences, economics, or I'm just out. Right. Like if you look at my grades, that's kind of what they show. Right. And so I was like, I'll never make it. And so I didn't think I was good enough to play college in football. Uh, I was just like, yo, there's no way I'm that good. And so I was just like, I wasn't going to go. So I, I, I won't say I planned, but I thought I'd end up in the military. And then uh, I, as I started experiencing success, I was just like, okay, well, maybe I can play in, in football. So it wasn't the main plan, but it's kind of funny that as it ended, I ended up in a military position anyways. Right. I think a lot of guys in this area, <clears throat> well, in the country, but in this area in particular, mm-hmm. um, have the military as at least a backup option because there's so yeah. few choices in the area. You know, exactly. that if you don't want to go work in the shipyard immediately and you don't want to go and try to find a job, go to college yeah. or try to find a job, yeah, then you're just going to join the Navy or the Army or, um, mm-hmm. yeah. or the Coast Guard. I mean, or, 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 the, or the Coast Guard, right? Right. Yeah, no. right. That was, yeah. uh, um, I was going to say, was, what's funny is you had this kind of thing about, you know, you didn't think you were good enough to play college ball and all that. And then obviously you were, um, and we have the, st- the stats to prove <laughs> okay. it at this point. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your football career while you were there. I mean, yeah. not everybody has a New York Times article written about their time at West Point playing football. Um it's particularly a, a particular game at which a uh, fumble at a critical time, Yikes. you know, oh, might have cha- altered the history of the, you know, the, the universe at that point. <laughs> Do you remember this article being written? So I don't remember that specific article. I remember like having, it was like a super emotional thing. Like I, I vaguely remember sitting, like I remember the room we're in. I remember like our quarterback was there. It was just like, it was like super emotional. Like it happened. Mm-hmm. So like, do you want to start at the beginning? Do you want me to describe the play? Cause I have the play pretty much memorized at this point. Let's, let's hear it. I'm just, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, we can do that. That's fine. Year. Sophomore year going into junior year. Um, I, so freshman year, I kind of played for the first game, couple games and in the most awkward of awkward ways, my coach tells me that, Hey, hey you're the new starter at fullback, right? In front of the whole team. 
super awkward. Push. I had varying success. My sophomore year was kind of my first breakout year. Um, fast forward into the Army-Navy game. We're literally down by three points. We're driving down to win the game, right? It's the biggest game of the year for us. Uh, we're right. the only game on – we're the only show in town that specific day. So we're driving. It's late in the game, right? And um, we're going – and we're, we're ripping up – like, we're literally gashing them. We're ripping off runs. Like, my one of my good friends, Maples, he's the other running back. He rips off a 15-yarder. I rip off a 10-yarder. He rips off an 8-yarder. I rip off a 20-yarder. We're looking in the crowd. Like, we see it in our head. Like, they're done. They're like, oh, my God. They can't. Like, literally, at this point, every time I touch the ball, um, if I – my weakness at the time is always conditioning, right? So, we're on the 15-yard – 11-yard line going in, right? And the way the triple option works is I either get the ball or I get crushed, right? Right. And – Everything you do needs to be very specific in your steps, right? Like, it's insane to talk about, but, like, if you're six inches wide, you've, you've messed up the play. I've ruined everything. So I'm six inches wide, right? I'm just – I'm I'm so tired at this point, right? No huddle. You're exhausted. You've played in probably the hardest game at the end of the year, right? Like, injuries, you feel everything. And I was, like, weak-minded. Literally, like, I literally got beat. It's down race to hike, hikes the ball. I'm six inches wide going in, and I see the gaping hole that is like I like they say you could drive a mat truck through. We could all get our cars together, drive through the hole, and I'm just <laughs> like, oh my, like I see it. But like again, they always tell you not to pull the ball from the quarterback, he has to put it in your stomach. But I'm wide, so he's not in my stomach, he's on the side of my stomach, right? Yeah. So I don't feel the ball there. So that even though I run through not trying to pull the ball, I'm wide so the ball just drops. They recover the fumble with one minute left in the game, and, like, that's how it ended. And, like, that yeah, was yeah. that was a game. And literally, like, I literally just, like, tr- I try to dive back in, but, like, I literally could have stumbled into the end zone. There's not – there's no thought in my mind that if I touch the ball, like, we score. Like, I literally score. I probably throw the ball up into the stands. Like, I think about it all the time. Like, I, it, it, I won't say it haunts me because I sleep through the night, but, like, it's, like, it's literally my soldiers – my soldiers found out about it because they research you. They Google the shit out of you. And so they found it. <laughs> That's the only thing you can make fun of me about. It's the only thing that gets reaction. They're literally like, why doesn't anything bother you? I'm just like, because nothing bothers me. And then like that, like always gets a reaction. So yeah. that was probably the worst moment of my college career. So I appreciate that one. Uh, it's, it's the single moment where you prove to yourself that you are human and can error. You're it's, physically and emotionally exhausted after a brutal season. You should probably let that one go, man. There's that that would have happened to anybody. That happened to the fucking Seahawks, for God's sakes. I mean, like, I'm just saying, you should definitely be on the Seahawks. That's all I'm saying. Because these fucking numbers like, are ridiculous, man. Jeez. I mean, you're talking about like picking up your sophomore year and then some. Holy shit! It just it gets exponentially more and more every year. I mean, you. you guys were on a tear, man. Yeah, we, we had a really good offense back then. Like I said, uh, we, we were good. Like, I, I had a great experience there, right? Like, so that, like, the New York Times article is not even the funniest article. It's not even the best article, right? So, like, listen, I don't like to gas myself up too often, but the Washington Street Journal did an article about the most hit man in college, college football's yes. most pummeled man. I yeah, have yeah, <laughs> exactly. it. That's my crowning moment yeah. right there. See, that I'm was telling that's the one that it's probably that's probably been like the the funniest one that i've ever seen um but yeah so like i got hit like 37 or 40 times a game and like i would yeah. i would only get the ball nine times a game so like that's probably like the craziest part about playing the offense is i got hit so much 
This, so this, this says, in a game against Boston College this year, the Army running back was tackled 34 times. That's fairly routine for the position. What's unusual is that on 22 of those tackles, Dixon wasn't even carrying the ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I would bet. That's probably like the, that's that article does a better job of like because like really like I had really good linemen like right like I had very good linemen I played with really good running backs so like to say the yards don't matter because like they rarely ever focused on me per se but like that article really shows like what a day in the life of a fullback's like it's just like hey do you want to play a position where you're going to touch the ball ten times but get hit forty eight times and then you're right. like yeah no no let, let, let's do it like, yeah let's so, do that well and I would yeah. imagine that you got it a little <laughs> bit worse because you're I mean and let's not even play this down you're you're huge like that's that's a real thing you're you're a stacked dude and it's it's been that way since you were in high school I mean even just from some of the pictures from like the high school articles you're bigger yeah. than most of those other kids and so I got to imagine that played a part in like we'll we'll just throw Dixon in there we'll let him get slammed and then we'll carry the ball we'll be good to go. Yeah, I don't. I was. I like to say I was very good at faking the defense. Um, I really feel like I really sold it. Like you really thought I had them when you hit me. I think that was like the biggest change though from college to high. Like high school, I was like bigger than most kids. Like I was bigger right. or as big. And like call like my senior year, I was uh, well, I was five ten, two hundred and thirty nine pounds, right? And I was just like, yo, I I am a tank. And like I I just <laughs> I forgot who he played for, but the guy was sick. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. His name's Trent. I forgot his last name. Plays for Stanford. He was six six, two hundred and ninety pounds. And I remember running into his leg, and I thought he broke my shoulder. Like I literally <laughs> oh, thought like it, it had broke. Like I was laying on the ground, did nothing, didn't move, just laying there. I was like, it's done. It, it's broken. It, and he he made the tackle, made the play. Great, great, smart dude. He's happily yeah. married now. But yeah that's that they're massive like they're actually mongoloids like it's it's disgusting <laughs> well and, and i remember that from high school watching you play that you're just you were evidently much better than everybody else in the field that was just the reality of the situation i mean obviously like there's this article about the line at olympic you know that you're all working as a unit i mean you guys all played together for like several years in a row so there was yeah. definitely a cohesion there that I mean, I'm sure it didn't exist in a lot of teams, but it also helps when you have somebody that's miles better than the rest of the people on the field, you know, mm-hmm. that like this one article in particular was talking about how many times they're just stacking the boxes against you, you know? And so all you got to do is break past that second level and you're done. And so if that yeah. happens early in the field, you know, you're just, you're going to go all the way to the end. <laughs> and that type of shit happened all the time, you know, yeah. that they were just put all, all their eggs in one basket, all, right in the beginning and then just lose immediately. Yeah. That was consistent. Yeah. So, so was that a, was that a hard thing for you to, for you to adjust to once you got to West Point that you weren't that much better than everybody else in the field anymore? Yeah. I mean, it was this, it's like not even, you don't think about it, like, you're not that much better. It's like the speed, like the speed, they're just so fast. Like they're just so everyone's so fast. Like it's, that was probably the craziest thing. It's just like when they, like at, at, in high school, like I literally felt like everything was slow. Like like going from junior high to high school, I didn't feel like everybody anybody was much faster than me. I was like, yo, like yeah. I, I feel it's the same. But like at college, it's like they snapped the ball and so much was going on. Like if at for if you're thinking too much and you're not running at full speed, you won't catch anybody. And like that's the hard part. It's just like you're not gonna think you're gonna run full speed at somebody, but you have to know exactly where he's gonna be. And if he changes anything at all. Like, that's not his fault. That's It's your fault. You have to figure it out. And it's just, like, you never get to slow down, but you're constantly thinking without thinking. And, like, that like that layer was probably the hardest thing to get used to. But, like, 
and like you just the collisions are just so much harder like i hit so much harder my senior year of college that i think i like i like this is probably the first year i actually like, delivered blows to people because like the rest of them i just lean on people yeah mm-hmm. so i've I always i've always wanted to ask somebody this and i'm really excited to get to actually ask a college ball player i don't this. know what this question is right. just so you know so whatever oh, yeah. it is <laughs> right. i come up with some wild shit too especially when it comes to sports um just the way college turnover is compared to the pros you know you oh. just watch an nfl and stuff somebody gets a contract they're there for x amount of years all this stuff you're going to be there college there is a yearly turnaround i would imagine on a team because people are graduating and moving on and you got new people coming up from the you know i think like high school like uh, junior varsity varsity you got right. people coming up that you've never played with before so there's a constant i mean it, it does it feel constant every year that there's it's like a new team every year yeah so it, there's like different dynamics to it but like generally so like you hope that they're like you have like generally a team will have like their core guys right so like when we played our backfield was our core right when i got there as a freshman everybody that contributed like throughout my period was like sophomore and freshman so we stuck together for a long period of time and then when we left our linebacking core was one of those the core so like you hope to develop your core but it, that's why it's a little bit different in the football preseason for college is just because like literally like for a team like you're bringing in 25 to 28 freshmen and then you have to bring them in as fast as possible and then like it's an added thing where in the nfl you kind of know if you're the guy like you know how you stack against the rest of the league like you kind of know what's out there there's a few varying like you know uh quarterbacks come in like that but like the freshmen come in, like you literally look like this guy could literally take my spot. Right. So like, it's like a, it's like, it's a give and take there. So it's a weird dynamic, but like during that camp, we put a ton of, uh, of like priority on just like bonding experiences, different kind of like team building drills. Like you really have to do those out like a lot. Cause like, for example, our, our starting two quarterback, when I was a senior, our starting two quarterbacks went down and our, our, the quarterback after them was a freshman. So I literally was taking reps with a freshman and like, I, so we have the play. You literally run right down the line, right? And the quarterback has to move out of my way and hand me the ball, right? I don't right. move for him. So he doesn't have fast enough feet, and I literally picked him up and, like, literally threw him out of the side. <laughs> he's just like, so what happened? I was like, you have to move off the track. And he's like, gotta get out of the way. You gotta he looks at me, he's like, I've been here for two days. I was just like, listen, you, you, you have 10 minutes to get this shit right. And, like, so it's hard for them, and it's hard for you, but, like, it, it, again, it's another thing of you learn to be on a part of a team and you learn to lead, right? You pull them under the wing, uh, you get to know them and you just you, you try to bring them up to speed as fast as possible. But, and it's different. I think NFL's law, I had a tinge, right, of, of NFL, I won't say NFL experience, getting ready for NFL experience, but like that's kind of the difference, right? Like that professional aspect where like people like you can't flip the light switch, but like that NFL, like, like they literally go from being super cool normal guys to like trained killers like those mm-hmm. linebackers like they're literally like i went to the east west shrine game for a week so i played with like the all-stars of like well the there's like three tiers of all-stars so like one of the lower tiers of all-stars and literally playing with these kids and like every day like we would just like i literally thought we were going to war like the people are bleeding spitting blood like punching each other yelling at each other hitting his heart fall, and then all the field, you'd be like oh wow we're all we're all friends again after that like it's it, it's insane so like the level of intensity like the, the light switch it, it's insane well, i yep. think that kind of goes with 
you were talking about the speed, you know, people play with and that at a certain point you have to stop thinking, you know, and so much of that there, I mean, you hear pros coaches type of instinct, you know, at a certain point it turns from thinking about what you're doing to instinct. This is your body just knows what to do. So you're just doing that. And when you have that many, I mean, let's not to oversimplify, but when you got that many dudes, especially young guys that are that pumped full of testosterone that are working off of straight instinct, I can't imagine the weird places that your brain goes, you know? Um, And so, yeah, the fights over weird stuff just because people are not thinking clearly. They're just off, get the ball, kill that person with the ball, murder them, done. (laughs) Like that's, yeah. It's got to be something similar like the MMA culture, you know, that, that just that sure. violent sport, you know, the, the violent sports like that, where there's serious consequences, but there's so much, you have to be, you have to be 100%. Otherwise right. it doesn't work. You yeah. know, when, when both people are fucking just clashing like that, emotions got to be raging, you yeah. know, you, how did you, you, you move with your left foot first or, I, you know, somebody, I can just imagine the, the small things that could just end up in a fucking throwing hands. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's MMA is like a, a whole nother level of intensity. Like, they, like I say, we're like train killers, like, but like we take combatives like courses just to learn to fight and like to be at that, the level I am like a, a, like a level one combatives trained, right? So like a very low level skill, right? Very basic essentials. Like, so where they are, like, I can't like, they're literally in there to kill themselves. Like literally fighting them on the street could, would end up in murder. Like, right. it's insane. Like it, I, I can't compare myself to an MMA person. Cause like I watch it and I'm just like, yo, that's, it seems silly. Like I can never let someone be yeah, right. <laughs> people like, yeah, it's literally, it's just like practice murdering people with Sorry. your hands right. you know just don't quite do it just don't go all the way so I have let some, him go once you're done <laughs> right, right. Um, um so i have some random questions for you larry okay. that i'm gonna kind of mix in here right yeah. i just started picking them from people that i was like hey i'm gonna have this guy on or you know whatever oh, yeah. so do um, we have any questions come in during the pre-show i didn't um i don't know you could check real quick my mom was curious okay. um what you feel your quality of education was that you received from Olympic high school uh, because <laughs> because and she said to me, she said, I want to know because she felt like the level of education that I got compared to what my sister got was very different um, yeah. just in seven years of attendance. Um, yeah. And so she's interested in what your experience was. Do you feel like you got a high quality education when you went there? Like I, and that may be hard to quantify, but, yeah. um, you know, like everybody, let's, everybody knows that CK was like a better school than Olympic, yes, you know, as yes, far as yes, like yes, money yes. goes funding, like resources, yes. like there's there, you know, I, the teachers at Olympic, like weren't shit, you know, but the teachers at CK obviously care more because they're in a nicer school. They have nicer yeah. things like that's that type of stuff. And so I know that I just had a really hard time. Well, I was a difficult kid, but I also like, there just weren't teachers there that I felt like cared much, you know, in the way that they should, like, we're not invested in the education, did not, we're just like, if you don't do it, you don't do it. I don't give a fuck. Like, and so what do you, and yours may have been different because you played football, you know, so you probably had more focus from teachers and maybe not a positive way, but. I, so the quality of education, so it's tough. Um, I think the teachers are hit and miss, right? And like we can get deeper into the, this with like the, the education pods, right? But like yeah. the teacher was hit or miss. I will definitely say 
I was not at the same level to my peers entering West Point. Um, so that there's a distinct noticeable difference. Uh, I won't say I tested low in anything, but reading and writing, like I, we did writing, I am bad at writing, right? So it gets hard for me to do, right? It's like math, I can piece together super easily. Writing, I was bad at. So the thought is that when you go to school, you'll be better at it. But when I got to there, a lot of teachers just like you write at a, a ninth or eighth grade level. And so to see that I, I seamlessly made it out of that is concerning, right? I don't know how much of that's me, how much is that's them, but I will say there was a distinct notable difference between me and my peers going into right. school. Do you think at all that you being like a star athlete, you know, just to put a label on it, do you think that that affected your education? Like maybe teachers are willing to give you more leeway, even in the background, like even if you didn't know about it, do you think that because your writing was only at an eighth or ninth grade level, do you think that might partially be because teachers let things go that maybe they didn't before? And I don't know. I'm just asking if you, I'm not trying to make assumptions. I'm, I think I, I really truly think that the standard was lower. Um, yeah. The standard of what they're looking for was lower. I, I mean, I'm going to say no teacher treated me differently. I will acknowledge the fact that it may have happened, right? So I don't press right. anyone because I didn't openly see anything. But I will say, like, our standard of achievement at Olympic is a lot different. And I say that because I've gone home to other friends, like, colleges – and to see their level, like their standard of what is acceptable to see what average is there is a lot higher than what ours is, right? And again, I don't know if that's funding, I don't know if that's teaching, I don't know what it is, but I would say our standard, our threshold is a lot different. And so that, that had different results. And I, again, spending so much time working on and learning about and going back to those rudimentaries of writing and having my friends already be there really kind of taught me. That. I'm just like, well, when did you learn this? Like, why am I just now getting it? And there's like, well, that's normal. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay. So that's one thing I had noticed. And um, I don't know if I've seen it in a big way because I, I haven't gone back to Olympic in so long now. But, like, that's definitely something I noticed. Our- so there's a brand new remodel on it. It's very nice. It looks really nice. I was say, because yeah. I did a lot of work there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was mainly me. I pushed for it. I, we got a- yeah, I see picture. My niece went there. And she just graduated, I think, oh, God, she's 21 this year. So, what, three years ago? Three years, years ago. Um, so, she graduated. And that's something kind of what I noticed, just, like, kind of going back and visiting kids. But I think, I, personally, I think it stems from where kids see themselves in five years. Like, for example, my friend's from Texas, right? His football team is the only football team I've ever seen that has cuts, right? Like, they literally cut kids from playing. I think he said right. his senior year they had – 312 kids turn out. 312. Yep, I remember because I made 6'6". Six, six. Anyways, 312 people turn out for the team. He's like, my coach made cuts. Like, he said it's insane. And, like, when I talked to his friends, they were all at other universities. And I'm just like, wow, that's insane. And, like, they are talking about one of his teammates, girlfriend's little brothers, and he, he was talking about having a 3-0. And he's just like, hey, you're not going to make it anywhere with that 3-0. Like, colleges just – they're not even going to look at you. And like that kind of like that, that cultural standard they had in that community, like where like three O isn't good enough, like right. get get your life together at a three O. Like <laughs> that's that was very interesting for me to kind of be like like you just kind of notice it. Like I don't say anything. I'm just like if you're three O, like I like you're doing it. But like so right. I think the right. standard thing and like what we let slide. I don't know how it was for you, but t- like, we're very lenient with like discipline issues. 
I, I, I say, yo, I went to North. Okay. I don't yeah, want to hear yeah. none of this. Okay. No, there was, I'm um, like, but a down, 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 down. That's yeah, my no, territory. I mean, there was, I mean, conservatively dozens of times um, when I was in school that I skipped class and I, yeah. I never received any type of punishment for it. You know, like I don't at, at home was like another deal, you know, like I, yeah, I had yeah. convinced my mom that, that the, the attendance system was so fucked up that I was like getting counted wrong, you know, cause I would skip yeah. like fourth period or something. And I'm like, how am I going to be gone for fourth period? But I was there for third and fifth, you know, when really I'm just skipping fourth period and then going back. And, <laughs> and that would happen. Like it was new enough at the time that you would get mistakes, you know? So she was getting calls that was just like, Oh, this is bullshit. Like, I don't even, you know, whatever. But I mean, I was constantly leaving school fourth period, sixth period. And I never received any type of anything from the school itself. Uh-huh. It was just, you have all these unexcused absences. Like what's happening? You know? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, <laughs> they just don't, they don't take roll call. It anymore. just wasn't a, when I was in my senior year, I was doing running start and I had one class. I took one class at Olympic to ensure that I could see my best friend every day. Like I didn't need this credit. I was like, Oh, I would just want to make sure that I'm going to see Trent every day. And yeah. At a certain point, you know, halfway through, I, I was not even doing any work because I had convinced myself that I didn't need it, you know. So I was just going there literally just to socialize. And halfway through the quarter of the semester, whatever, it was Miss Shaw, it was business. It was business math. So it's the simplest math class you could take. Business that I just the best. That I – Not simple, best. That I still failed take. because I just wouldn't do the work because I yeah. wasn't like, I, this isn't what I'm here for. And so at a certain point halfway through, Miss Shaw is like, you, you literally can't pass this class. There's not <laughs> enough work for you to make up for it to be done. And she's like trying to get after me, you know, during class about like how I'm never doing work and all this stuff. And I, and I said to her, I said, I'm literally not here for you. So I'm not going to do any work. So I'm not going to take any of these tests. I'm not here for you. So I'm only here to make sure that I can see my best friend. Yeah. And she's fine. Honesty. And, just, and that, that was it. Like that was, that was all that happened. There was no fucking go to the office, get the fuck out. Like nothing. Oh, fine. 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 You know, yeah. whatever. And I was able to continue the rest of the year going to that mm-hmm. class and nothing happened. For why? Like, for why am I able to behave that way? That doesn't, as a 25-year-old man now, I'm like, well, I was a real fucking dickhead when I was 17 years old. And so I don't understand why that was acceptable behavior. (laughs) For I mean, I'm, you know, I'm one of the class sizes, at least when we were in school, were like 30 kids a piece, you know, enormous class size. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that at that point, she's like, I just don't care. I just don't want to deal with this kid. I got so much other stuff to deal Mm -hmm. with. And that may be the root of the problem, you know, but I don't, it seems weird that, um, that was like, seems to have worked out. Okay. Though, because my mom doesn't, there's so much behavioral stuff that my mom never found out about. Like she was never called. She was never made aware. It's stuff that I'm telling her now Mm -hmm. that I was acting up in school. Why, why does my mom not know consistently that I'm acting up at school? You know what I'm saying? Like that doesn't, well, let me ask you a question. Should your should your mom know? Probably. I'm a, she's a single parent. She's the only one at home, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and if I'm being a shithead at school, the problems start at home, you know, whether it's problems between me and my mom, I don't have a dad. So I'm dealing with those Mm -hmm. issues, whatever 
the deal is at the time yeah. for whatever kid, you know, the issues rarely start at school. They generally start at home, you know? Oh yeah. And so why, oh, yeah. why should my mom not be made aware that I'm acting inappropriately consistently at school? Mm-hmm. You know, that seems weird that, like I said, that I don't think that standard exists. I would hope that standard doesn't exist other places. And I think it's weird that it exists anywhere, Yeah, you know, but it doesn't set, people up for success you know Mm -hmm. um did you i guess you were committed to to like football and stuff so i mean did you have a problem conforming to the behavioral standards when you got to west point because of the lax standard (laughs) at olympic yeah that's some consequences and would would you draw those connections like from the lax standards to i mean because it's it's a military school obviously so there's going to be higher standards at a regular college but you still knew what you were signing up for no 100 and and it it was there's something you had to get used to I was tied to the football program, so I told myself whatever it takes to play on Saturday. When I went in, being on NCAA, the football game, was literally my crowning achievement as a kid. Like, that was literally the thing I wanted to do. So I tied myself to that, but it was drastically different. Like, like missing classes, like being late to class. Like, at, at West Point, like, you can get hemmed up in a lot of trouble just for being, like, like the bell rings, you're not in your seats, like, with your book open. Like, teachers will rip you apart. And it's yeah. like those, they're officers in the military. So like teachers at uh, Olympic would be like, Hey, like, don't do that anymore. Like teachers at West Point will rip your fucking shit apart, like in front of people. And they won't <laughs> like, oh, yeah. literally be like, what the fuck? And like, again, it's not like talking to a teacher. He's in charge. Like he's a major. So like, if he tells me to do something, I don't do it. Like I'm breaking, you uh, UCMJ. Like I can get in a lot of trouble. You can get hemmed up for it. So it was a culture shock. Like I, I, Whenever I see people, like, I go back to West Point and I would see kids talk back to adults and I literally would cringe because, like, in my heart, like, like oh, my God, like, that's the end of him. Like, because, like, at West Point, like, someone tells, like, someone could literally walk in and be like, hey, Larry, uh, I know you just got here. I need you to run over to Washington Hall, go up to the 10th floor, grab a bucket and come down here, fill up water, and then fill everybody's water bottles up. And at a certain level, I have to do it, right? Unless I can really figure out why it's not there. And, like, people would be like, hey, get the classes. I'd be like, no, shut up. I'm just I, – I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is it for that kid. And so it, it was – I made it. It was definitely a culture shock. It was more of a culture shock coming back home and, like, seeing – like, because I, I, I love Mr. Huff, uh, Mr. Peck. I go see him all the time. So I would yeah. go sit in, their, I'd sit in their classrooms and, like, I would just see kids and I, just, I would be uneasy. Like, unless, like, no one's coming for you. Like, it's going to be okay. So – <laughs> That's so wild, man. You'd yeah. be, you'd have shit bricks if you were to come into one of my classrooms. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, it's but like also, I find it's weird. Do you ever feel like adults defer so much to teenagers? Like, I think we can agree. When we are fifteen to eighteen, we are the height of our dumbness. Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, the height of. I, I'd extend that out to like twenty five. <laughs> I was officially not someone that uh, forgive the cancelable pun, but like a short bus kid thinking wise until i was past 25 yeah like yeah. i didn't actually understand most things until no. i was about 25 because you got to get out and experience the world for a while to be an adult it's not just college i mean you're yeah you're just you have no concept of the real world so you're just ignorant to the yes. real world you are the dumbest right. you make the worst decisions you say this and do the stupidest shit but you during those you know years exactly that's what makes it bad because like you're dumb and you're like but i know it all and so like i've never gotten like why we defer to kids like it was like well we have to you know we have to 
feel hear him or listen to him, it's like he's probably the dumbest he's ever gonna be today. Like, yeah. why am I gonna listen to him? And so I think Go ahead. No, I think that's what Olympic does. I I feel like one of their weaknesses is they like they care so much about how kids feel. And I'm just like they like you're they're wrong. Like they're wrong. And like if you talk to them in ten years, like, yeah, I probably wasn't the smartest there. I have I got a lot of kids in my family and I just been around a lot of kids, you know, and I have a son now who's 19 months old and there are a lot of comparisons you can draw between a toddler and a 15 year old of either side. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Pretty much any kid in in high school, there's a lot of comparisons you can draw um, in that. That's like terrifying. Of of course I care what Jax feels. I don't, I, he, can speak to a certain degree and uses a fair amount of sign language so he can express himself in a pretty reasonable manner without just yeah. throwing a fit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. we'll ask him how he feels. We'll talk to him. But at the end of the day, there's some shit that you have to do. You know what I'm saying? And I like, I'm sorry that you're upset. And we'll tell him, you know what I'm saying? Smack shit. You break things. Cause that's in kids in high school. They get upset. You know, they flip over desks. They get into fights. They do shit. Right. Dax is the way he's slapping now. Right. So oh. gets mad. Jordan. Okay. This is a great example. Jordan went to take him home. They came to visit me at work and then she was taking him home. Right. So go to put him in the car. Dax, you gotta get it. You gotta get in the car. So he screams, starts slapping the car, slapping the fucking car seat. I'm going to put him in the car seat, trying to slap me. Grab his hands. Listen, totally understand you're upset. We have a great time at dad's work. There's lots of people here. They love seeing you. They give you treats. They got toys. It's a great time. You gotta go home. I understand you're upset, but you have to go home. You have to get in the seat. I have to go to work. You can't stay here all day. It doesn't work that way. Gotta go home and take a nap. You know what I'm saying? Still pissed off. Fine, but you can't behave this way because you're upset. I will hold him to the same standard when he is 15 years old that I hold him to when he's 15 months old. You know what I'm wow. saying? So, and if you're not doing that with your child, mm-hmm. you end up with a kid who's 6'2", 220 pounds, mad and throwing shit, punching holes in the walls at his house because no one's telling his mom that he's acting with school. Acting you know what I'm like saying? a five-year-old. And yeah. that's the type of shit that... My my son, he's three feet tall. He's thirty pounds. He's mm-hmm. for for a child. He's huge. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna be built just like I am. If you don't curtail that now, that's what you get when they're an adult. You know, when they're a young adult. You know, mm-hmm. there's there are many comparisons you can draw in the handling of those two situations: a teenager mm-hmm. and a young toddler. And it sucks. And I'm sure that a sixteen year old would hate hearing that, but. In my experience, I feel very comfortable drawing that comparison. Well, I think it's funny. I would I would ask you, just out of pure curiosity, because I've heard you do like Dax was getting all fussy and stuff when it's time to go to bed. Yes. When we were over there the other day, and it's like you do that thing where you speak to them. Just you're very calm. You're yeah. very clear and very direct. Yeah. And it's like there's no way he actually. You know, he doesn't know the words and stuff yet. Like he can't. But like he t- I does his behavior. I actually change like when he slapped the car and didn't want to go in the car um in the car instance it did not because he was mad and he doesn't like being in the car anyway but the time that you're talking about when you were over and i was putting him to bed and when Mm -hmm. jordan and i have talked about this if he's upset about something um he seems to feel better if he has feels like he has some type of choice you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying so we will we'll do that we'll speak Mm -hmm. to him very plainly at that time we're so 
Colin was over. We're going to go over to my neighbor's house and work out. So Colin was over. I was putting Dax to bed and then we're going to go over to my neighbor's house. And yeah. so go to the murder garage. Exactly. Go to the murder garage. Yes. And so, okay. um, so I'm, you know, putting Dax's diaper on all this shit and he's, he's kicking, he's kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking and all this stuff. And I'm trying to put diaper cream on him. It's a whole deal. And so I, I grabbed him and I looked him in the eyes and I made sure that he was looking at me. And I said, you just like, you have to stop, right? So I have to put this on you and then we're going to put your diaper on and then we're going to put your pajamas on and then we're going to read a book and then we'll go to bed, you know? And it's like, as long as he, understands there's like a reason for these things to be happening it seems Mm -hmm. easier you know and so it's involvement in the process just like an an understanding and that seems to be like this is what i have to to do right now this is what you got to do right now let's do this so we can all keep going on i have so that jordan have you read jordan peterson's book larry yeah the 12 rules yeah yeah okay so my bible so one of those rules is don't let your child be someone you don't like right and we i read that book before dax was born and so that's one of the ones that i took close right and i've thought about that obviously a lot since yeah since he's been born you know and now that he's older he's more autonomous he has more thought he's doing more things independently Mm -hmm. that's i think about it all the time you know and so i know excuse me them if I came across myself as a 17 year old, I would really, really hate myself. And I would be really mad at my parents for not having adjusted my behavior. Yeah. You know, um, I was one of those kids that literally would like aggress adults, like would like stare at adults across parking lots and like do shit. Like, like I swear to what God, I swear guys? to God, it was a problem. Like I was a, I was a dickhead. I always wondered about those ones. It's horrible. Yeah. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And it's like, I was 20 years old and Jordan and I were going somewhere dressed all super fancy and we were coming back and we stopped at Jack in the box to get some food. Right. Oh, so we're staying that. in the Jack box, mm. some food. the Jack in the box in Bremerton across from Taco Bell. Right. Yeah, right there. That's my spot. Yeah, that's right. My spot. So we're there. We're standing there and I'm in like a button up shirt and like a tie and a cardigan. Like, I don't remember where the fuck we were, but we were dressed <laughs> up. Right. Roger and no. then we're coming back and to go to my mom's house, eat some food, smoke some weed. Right. And so, at the Jack in the Box, and so there's two kids sitting in one of the booths, staring at me, bro, like mean mug. And I wasn't. I we're like the only people there, so I'm just like looking around, like waiting for food, like doing all this shit, right? And so we went to leave, got the food. These kids are doing the whole thing the whole time, staring, being weird, right? Same shit I was doing. Same shit I was just talking about. And so we're in we're in the car. We go to leave, and they start flipping us off through the windows of the restaurant, right? And there's for sure like 14 15 years old right and so i was like motherfuckers right and so jordan made some joke about getting out and doing something about it you know and so i like i just parked the car and i got out right and these kids ran out of the restaurant like they were just waiting right so they came out of the restaurant and they're both standing there and they're like like what, what, what's your fucking problem fucking staring at people blah blah blah, blah. and i was like what is going on? Like, what the fuck is really happening here? Right. Cause I truly expected when I got out of the car, they're like, this will end the situation. Like if they're like, Oh shit, this guy's going to come in. You're like, it's going to be done. Right. So I'm then faced with like, okay, I'm an adult. What do I do? Right. How do I react as an adult? Because yeah. what the fuck do you do? I, you know, what do you do? You know? Kids swarm you. You can't, 
you can't strike a kid. You can't hate a 15 year old kid. I'll go to fucking jail. You know what I'm saying? You can't, someone else's kid. It's can't like, this isn't the sixties. I can't handle someone else's (laughs) kid and be like, now get the fuck home to your parents. Like, and go tell them what I did. Exactly. exactly. And so I just had to stop. I was like, you know, if your biggest problem is someone staring at you and it's going to get you this upset. So you're just going to have a whole heap of problems when you become an adult. You know, and he said something about me being dressed fancy and, and we had the Land Rover at the time, you know, and it was a mm-hmm. gift from Jordan's dad. Yeah. Um, and so totally lucked into that vehicle. And he said, why, why don't you go get in your car that your daddy bought you? And I said, it's called a job, you dumb bitch. And then got in the car and we went to leave. So they're sitting there flipping us off, you know, Jordan rolled down the window. So make sure you call your parents to come get you when you're done. And that, that interaction haunted me for months. For months, I thought about it just like, like it didn't make me feel good the way that I like handled it. But I'm like, I don't literally had no other options, but to just walk Fuck away. Like you, you, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I don't, so I think about it all the time because that's the type of kid that I was, you know, yeah. and that's just, just unhealthy. Like that's unhealthy to have in your community, to have in your school, to have your kids hanging out with. Like oh, yeah. that's, I was unquestionably a bad influence because I was that type of kid. And those type yeah. of kids are doing the same type of terrible influencing that I was doing. You know, I'm sure going to school with someone like Larry, like, Hey, get high, get high, get high. Why aren't you smoking weed? You could play football, smoke weed. Did you run into just a whole heap of peer pressure when you were in school? Cause I mean, Olympic is like the weed school, at least when, when I was going, there. that's like all the stoners go to Olympic. Everybody at Olympic smokes pot. Like that's, that's how it was when I went there. At least the, the teenage image of Olympic high school. Yeah. I, I don't know if I ran into peer pressure. Oh, uh, I think people knew at just early that like, I just, I, again, I was, there was no room for it. Like, it's just like, what did you do after school? I went right to the room. Cause I was just like, I have to be the first one on the field because Jonathan Stewart, my favorite running back from Oregon. Yeah. Oregon hat. Yeah, absolutely. Jonathan Stewart would be like, I was always the first one on the field. But so if Jonathan Stewart's on the first one on the field, I'm on. So I would sprint to the lock or sprint, walk fast to get the locker room. Um, I try to get up shots. So, and then on weekends, I didn't like, so I think what you're doing for your kids is amazing, right? And this ties into the answer, I promise. I get kind of squirrely, but like, no, you're take your time. I just fucking ran in for 10 minutes. So go, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I literally, like, you're literally, you're looking at your kid, you're assessing the behavior, you're, you're, you're like, hey, this is wrong. This is what right looks like. My mom was just dramatically amazing at that, except I'm convinced she works for the CIA. But like, she just, <laughs> just tightened down the hatchet. So like, I, I, I was, I'm afraid of my mom today, right? So like, my friends make fun of My mom's 5'1", she might be 125, 130 pounds, right? Literally, I'm a senior at West Point, right? Like, I'm 5'10", 239 pounds. And my friends laugh because I'm I'm just terrified. Like she could be like, "Hey, come here! I'm, I'm sprinting over there." We're sitting at my house. One of my good friends. She was just like, she looks at my friend like, "Hey, take out the trash." And he looks at me, and I literally look down away from him like, "I would take out the trash if I were you." Because like, I, I can't help you. <laughs> so like, she helped me out. Like she kept me on straight and narrow. Like I, I, it helps that I'm again. I'm a super boring kid. My favorite thing to do is movies. So. I didn't run into a lot of peer pressure. I don't think in high school anybody wanted to spend time with me because, again, would you want to spend time with a kid that only wanted to talk about lifting, video games, uh, TV shows, or, like, lifting? Like, those were really my big three things. So, like, uh, again, I got lucky. My mom helped me out. I have an aggressively boring personality. Like, bless my wife. I mean, even she'll say something. Like, I don't do anything. Um, 
So it, I got lucky. I, I, I don't think anybody really wanted to hang out with me. Yeah. <laughs> That's so Not funny. High school. That's so funny to hear. I got lucky. You know, nobody really wanted to hang out with me. Yeah. Was, well, that's good, though, because it also teaches you, like, self-reliance and shit. You know, right, there's a yeah. lot to that. How, no. how long have you been married, and when did you meet your wife? I, I met my wife. Oh, God. She's going to get mad at me. Um, <laughs> you don't have to answer junior that. Year, junior year at West Point. I met her junior year at West Point, so, like, 2013. And we got married. We've been married for a year, so we got married in May of 2019. And nice. how did you meet her? Did you, was she oh. going to West Point too? No, no, no. She's from, she went to Clahalio. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I met her at home on, on her Christmas. That's so home. funny. Yeah. 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 No, no, super. Like she's a year younger than me. Um, She went to Clahalio. Her last name was Dixon. What? Oh, someone what? said that to me. Yeah. I don't mean yeah. that's, that's really funny. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> like, so when we got married, like there was no like, there's no emotional moment to have to change her last name. She's like, she'll joke about it. She'll be like, I always, when I was a kid, I always wonder what my last name would be after I got married. And <laughs> in anticlimactic form, it's Dixon. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we, we, we dated off and on for about what? So, what, six, about three years. Then we got super serious, like 27, 2016, 2017 ish. And then we got married in 2019. And now, you know, she's been, just in beautiful self has just followed me around on this terrible, not terrible, this journey of the army. Right. Cause you live in New York, right? So we li- yeah, I lived it. I lived in New York and then okay. I moved to Texas and then, I Oh, okay. Oklahoma, then Texas. And now I'm back in Oklahoma and I'm going back to Texas here. Oh, okay. oh wow. So your yeah. Facebook says that you live in New York. That's why I thought yeah. when we were, when I was talking about time differences, that's yeah. why I'm not no, like no. change your fucking Facebook. Cause I don't <laughs> shit. But that, that's why I said that when I said three hours when we were talking about time differences. So in my defense for changing, I think on my Facebook, it still says I'm single. So just, just for, for, for the record, like just to, I, I don't, I aggressively am bad at keeping I'm the worst friend in the world because I don't keep up with people. Um, I'm, I'm the super, I need low maintenance friends. So I don't update anything. Um, my family, I like they'll be random times. be like, why didn't you tell me about this? My wife, sometimes like I'll close a deal. I'm like, Oh yeah, I, clo- I did this. And she's like, why didn't you tell me about this? It's like, ah, it just didn't come up. Like I'm just oh I'm literally, I'm o- always thinking about other things. You are like so my favorite person right now. I'm related <laughs> to you on so many levels. This is so magical. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So taxes, right? Because this yeah. this yeah. question's got to be asked. Yeah. Like, what's, how and what why? the fuck is up with that? So again, my I get favorite, the math. You know, I understand that aspect of 100 percent at this it's point. A, when uh, so like tax. So I went to the prep school. So at West Point, you go to the prep school if you're dumb like me. Um, so I went to the prep school for one year. Then you go to four years at West Point, right? At the prep school, the first time I ever earned a paycheck because I didn't have a job working because my mom was just like, well, if you play three sports, you don't have to work. And I was like, bet. Right. Three sports in, work out. <laughs> bet. Yeah. And You're in the Army anything. by the time they send you to prep school? Yeah, so in the prep oh, wow. school, you're considered a private, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you're considered an E1. So I got a paycheck, which means for the first time ever, I had to do my own taxes. And this kid comes up to me, literally probably the shadiest thing ever. He was like, I can do your taxes for me. Just give me like 20 bucks and we'll call it good. And I was just like, okay. And the first time I saw my tax return, I got $1,775 back. And in my mind, I was just like, yo, taxes, they just give you money. So then I became (laughs) obsessed at West Point with like, okay, how do I get more money? Like you keep telling me I get money, but like, let's turn this 2,000 into 3,000, right? 
And then everyone's like, well, you could go to jail. I was like, well, let's do it legally then, right? And then so I just started researching, you know, tax stuff, you know, asking questions online. And then after I graduated West Point, I've always wanted to be self-employed business owner. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start a business. I had like 29,000 failed ventures. But anytime you start a business, you're like, okay, what are the taxes surrounding this? And then one of my friends is asking me and I'm explaining it to him. He said, dude, wow, you really know this stuff. I was like, yeah, I failed a lot. And then it came to tax time. He's like, listen, dude, I don't want to do this shit. Like, how much do I have to pay you for you to do this? And I was just like, of course, I'll take your money. And then I was just like, give me $70. And he's like, okay, too easy. And I was just like, oh, my God, I could ask him for more. And then from that moment on, I was just like, okay, well, then I'm the tax guy. And then I just loved working about it. And I've noticed that people get abused because they don't understand taxes, but they need it done. And I've always wanted to bridge that gap. So now I get to make money. I spend a gross amount of time with math. And then I get to really help people where like, for example, someone had a question on the stimulus, you would probably have to pay 20 to a hundred dollars for a meeting for 15 minutes to ask a question. And I'm just like, no, no, fuck that. Like ask me the question, like slide in my DMs and ask the question. Slide in my DMs. Yeah, I'll get it answered. And so like, I just, yeah. I've really enjoyed the process of helping, uh, making money. And then like, again, I spent a gross amount of time just working with money, math, spreadsheets, which are a lot of my favorite things. Well, can I, you mentioned failed business ventures. What oh, are yeah. some of the failed business ventures oh, that you that want I wanted to be a videographer. Um, I thought I was going to be a graphic designer. I blew $4,000 trying to be a graphic designer. Um, I thought I was going to be a streamer. I was like, no, I'm going to be the number one streamer in America. Uh, I thought I was going to be a weightlifting coach, an Instagram influencer. I thought I was going to be uh, a weightlifting competitor. God, what else I do? I thought I was going to do lawn cutting. I thought I was going to draw. I thought I was going to be a YouTuber. Um, and all these are like money. Like all these are like investments. Like if you walk oh, yeah. in the house, like Larry, why do you have a tablet, a camera, a thousand dollar weightlifting set, a five hundred dollar weightlifting set, or five thousand dollar weightlifting set outside? You have two lawnmowers here. Like why do you need? To, I was like in my head, I was like, I have this vision. I have super nice mics and lights, right? But I'm, I've never, I've streamed maybe four hours of my life. Like I bought it. <laughs> I thought I was going to do it. <laughs> why do i have all this because i'm That's hustling so awesome. motherfucker i'm trying to work right I was, now i was just like one of them has to hit um i tried to be a strength and conditioning coach um that didn't work um what else i thought i was gonna be a writer that was the best one but again if you read my writing you like there you write at a third grade level maybe generally. like what the fuck can i write about i thought i was gonna be a podcaster um so yeah a lot of things that like I say they're failed business ventures. I sunk a lot of money into figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, there's a lot of schooling. Like I would always, I'm very big into, I'm very down on school. And I'm very big on everything that you want to learn online. So like yes, I had yep. a Photoshop, uh, a Photoshop like portfolio and all of it. Everyone's like, yo, Larry, this is good. Like, where are you at school? I was like, I'm on YouTube. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I, was like <laughs> I just do that. And like, even like, um, like finances, like I kind of know, but like all the tax stuff, like I just read. Like yeah. that, people be like, "Oh, dude, like what? Where, like you do this in school?" But absolutely not. Like I've just been reading. I read about it obsessively. Like I've obsessively read about it. Like I'm just like, because again, that libertarian vein. I'm just like, okay, okay, I'll pay your taxes, but I'm paying the absolute least that I have to, and everyone else around me is gonna do the same. So, yeah, that's like the long way of like how I got here. And then now, um, I'll probably, I'm probably, gonna, I'm getting out of the military next october right because you're still active duty right 
Yeah, still active duty. This is my last year. We're going down to El Paso, Texas for that. And then um, I'll get out there. It's like a year-long process. So most of my time down there will be getting out. And then I'll go into this full-time. And then I've started to apply for other jobs. Basically, be like, hey, you can abuse me. I work really hard. Um, I just want the knowledge and experience. Because, like, the biggest the biggest thing that's super frustrating for me is, like, you, we've all seen it. Like, hey, you need – you just graduated high school. You need eight years of experience or 12 years of schooling. Yeah. Like 21. What do you mean you're struggling to find a job? So like, I'm like, okay, well, I have to bridge the gap. So I, I just basically like, okay, well, I'll make my own experience. So a lot of the process, I've worked for super dirt cheap, super poor or free, like just just trying to be like, hey, like, please let me follow you around and let me do this so I can get like yeah. a portfolio or it's like pictures or stuff like that. So uh, I've learned a lot of cool things about hustling. I've learned a lot of things about just like working for free, building your build a page, you know, things like that. But again, this is like the first thing that I've done that's really stuck. So let me ask you this. Why you're looking around for jobs and stuff like that. I mean, is, is one of the burdens to just essentially going into business for yourself, trying to find clients and shopping around and just, just doing like people's accounting and taxes and stuff. Do you need like a, you need to become like a certified public accountant to do that type of thing. Is there some kind of legal hurdle? Or is it so, just more you want to get the actual work experience? Yeah. So there, there's like, so the CPA doesn't do much for you, right? It's like, it's one of my biggest things. It's like the, uh, the hairdresser, right? Like why does a hairdresser need a license to do their job? Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. it makes my barber, if he can cut my hair, I don't care if he went to school. I really don't mm-hmm. care. I don't care if he speaks English, right? I had a lot of Korean. We're in Korea. A lot of Koreans cut it. Anyways. Uh, so CPA isn't that interesting. I have, there's around, I mean, there's a lot of Filipinos around here too, but I just yeah. seems like a lot of Asian people cut hair. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that's very yeah. interesting. In Korea, just like World War just an observation. Vietnam have a lot yeah. to do with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so. I, I bet that plays at least a small role. It's, in it's the got it. I mean, certainly we're really bad. good at the high and tight over there, man. There's a reason <laughs> why there's a type of fucking ramen that you get in Japan that has canned corn in it. Yeah, because of the GI influence. Yeah, so I'll, I'll punch you all to the Anthony Bourdain episode where they explain all that later. Yeah, That's please cool. do. I was about to say, like, well, like me, I love top ra- or ramen, but uh, but yeah, uh, dinner night, sucko. I fucking wish. I mean, a pancake. My wife <laughs> just made it. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry. The CPA. So the CPA, like the CPA, is to show a level. I say of seriousness, but to show a level of validation, right? So it's that hmm. somebody else said that, like, hey, like you have met the requirements to practice law. It's not the same thing as like being a, like passing the bar as a lawyer. Right. So mm-hmm. the threshold to actually do taxes is actually very low. Right. And so like, that's what it, it makes it harder not having those. Cause people are like, well, like you, like you, you just said it, like I want a CPA. I'm not a CPA. Right. I, right now it looks like I'm just a dude hustling from his house doing taxes. But after talking and meeting and, it's made it harder to find clients because like people don't come out of the woodwork, but I, because I've done good work, because I've done outreach, because I try to solve people's problems for free, it's had people come to me and do clients. And then like when I get them, I just try to treat them right. So like whenever I do taxes for somebody, I make a, a screen share, right? Like breaking down all their taxes. Like what does this line mean? Where did this number come from? And it's like things like that, like the smaller things. So people like I actually get my taxes for the first time as opposed to that kind of keep them come back and then refer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's, I'll eventually go get my CPA. I think I, I'm like 60, 40. Um, because uh, a couple, 
it's really starting to change. Like a lot of people are just like, you kind of don't need it, honestly. Like a lot of people yeah. are getting anti-college right now, you know? And yeah. I've been on that bandwagon for a while. Dude. Yes. It's like, bro, I'm about to give you all my dollars to, I never went to college. I'm a, yes. <laughs> I, this is my first year ever, ever having to do taxes as a small business owner. Yeah. And, um, you know, luckily we had, uh, help this year from our, our accountant that we've had at the company for a long time, but this was his last year. He's retiring yeah. and just looking at it peripherally. I'm like, nah, no, I don't want any part of this. I, I need to, I'm going to pay somebody to do this for me. So you, you're going to be my guy, Larry. Yo, absolutely. Come on in. We'll, we'll talk through it. We'll, we'll save some money. I'm a big fan of not paying taxes legally, legally, always legally mm-hmm. for, for the government listening legally. Yeah. There um, you go. Legally. <laughs> uh, if you're talking to us, you're definitely being watched. That's no, 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 exactly. learned that. We are shadow banned. They don't like what we're saying. We are on all of the lists. I swear <laughs> to God. It's my wife convinced me a few weeks ago. I don't remember what we were talking about. No. We were talking about just the stuff that like Colin and I are talking and, about. Epstein and, and trafficking is yes, the one that yeah, does it for yeah. you. And I, I asked her, I was like, are you prepared to be married to somebody who the government might want to kill for what he's saying? And yeah, she right. was like, sure, well, if you don't think they're already listening, then you're stupid. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah they're listening to everybody. And she was like, no. So I'm talking about the things that you and Colin are talking about all the time. So you're constantly doing live videos. She's like, it's really hard to take those down. You know, she's like the things that you're buying on the internet. She's like, if you think that you're not being watched, like that's stupid. You're like, okay. I, yeah. hundred percent. I, I, again, I, I loved TikTok, right? Like I was mm-hmm. upset. Like, Bro. I, trust me. Listen, I, I, I've done what I've needed to do. All right. I've done, I, I told myself from the habit. I got it. I was wrong. I've admitted I'm wrong. I told you I'm not always the smartest, but I love TikTok. Like when I first, when it first came out, it was my ADD brain was literally just, it was like snorting crack from my brain. Cause yeah. like, it was just like literally one minute clips of hilarity, knowledge, wrongness sometimes uh like it was just like it was everything you wanted right and there was just nothing anyways like that's when i started learning about shadow banning like when people like kids would be like Bro. oh i had eight hundred thousand views and now i have 12 i'm just like all right well and so you guys were talking about it and i was just like oh yeah if they're shadow banned like i believe because facebook's one again it, they've kind of exposed themselves so i'm not gonna pretend like i'm the super sleeper <laughs> that found it out but yeah i I knew going in, I was just like, all right, this is it. I'm making my jump. This, yeah. yeah, welcome welcome to the party. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we try and advise people. I mean, we talk about it consistently enough that like, if anyone listens to the show, then you probably have some understanding of at least, because the last, I'm going to say the last six months, it's been like particularly bad um, on yeah. Facebook and Instagram. We've mm-hmm. had, so far as we've had people who've been unliked from us on Facebook and had to like resubscribe to our podcast and stuff. Yeah. Like it's not even just things not showing up on feeds. Like they're no. literally being removed from people. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. Um, but we're, it's weird we're, shit, we're happy to have you. Um, no, no, so the I'm last, yeah, the last weird question that I have, and then I think we should talk about school pods, um, okay. is uh, what is like the weirdest or sketchiest tax loophole that you know of? The sca- Okay, so do you want the scariest loophole or do you want just my favorite one to utilize, right? Because there's different ones. Like I'm uh, – the okay. This is the skeeviest shit I've ever seen in my, my life. Like this, like this one pissed me off, right? And I don't like to pay taxes, right? So 
Jeff Bezos paid zero dollars and paid zero dollars in 2018. 2019 paid minimal, right? Like 126 billion or 26 million on billions of dollars in taxes. Everyone's like, how does he do it, right? And so imagine if you can, you have two corporations, right? Corporation A, Corporation B. Now, when you have a corporation, you can change your tax calendar year, right? So imagine that one has to pay taxes in March and the other one has to pay taxes in June, right? Okay. So company A that has to pay taxes in March, they sell things, right? Cap or a corporation B that has to pay taxes in June, they have IP, right? Intellectual property. Yeah. What happens right before corporation A has to pay taxes? Well, they go over to corporation B and say, hey, we're going to buy license to your IP for $20 billion. And oh, so it right. looks like corporation A made no money. That's how Jeff Bezos moves around a substantial amount of his income. He passes it around between the multiple different corporations of IP, and then when he needs it, pushes it back. And he also does a phenomenal thing. He doesn't hold a lot in cash. So he's notoriously known for not holding a lot of liquid cash. So those two things, so exercising the capital gains tax and then moving money around via intellectual property or marketing or donations is how he's able to stive off of his Right, it's disgusting when you think about it. You're like, "What is happening?" <laughs> oh my god. It's completely it's you emotionally, man. Oh my god, it's completely legal. Oh my god, and you know what's funny is I don't necessarily disagree with that. No, I'm just like, well, I mean, it's it's legit. Yeah, and fuck paying taxes. I earn this money. Fuck off. I've dealt but, with a lot of internal conflict right? <laughs> with what is, can I ask you? And it's okay if you don't have an answer for this, Larry, but I, a lot of people have been doing a lot of thinking over the, since January, you know, yeah. a lot of shifting in like personal views, political views, stuff like that. Have you found that there's one particular issue that you're battling with internally? Yeah, a lot. So again, so I'm a staunch capitalist, I love capitalism. I can't, I can't talk about it. I, I, I just, I really love it. I think our social safety net, and I think the biggest one I've been battling with, and like, again, it comes back to learning pots, is our schooling system, right? So mm-hmm. like everybody, like, it, I don't like how much money we're putting into it. And so like, whenever something's that bad, I'm just like, doesn't need to happen, right? So that's a, like, that's a bad one. Like if we said, hey, like there's going to be no public school system, how much further does that set, set us behind? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, the second thing I've been battling is as we get into healthcare, I wonder the thing with America that's different than every other country is the size of our people, right? Mm-hmm. And so my thing is like, okay, well, if we do, could I, I in my head, I'm like, could I rationalize a, a, uh, a medical healthcare of some sort while taxing fat people? it's the crudest thing i've ever said in my life right because like that that one like that one makes you cringe but like those two topics are ones i'm looking at right because like my friend oh he's in europe he's been in europe for a while we have a lot of good discourse he leans generally more liberal than or liberal than i do generally and i lean very much more conservative especially with money fiscally i'm probably the most uptight person ever all right but we agree on two things that's a lot for great conversation is we both love America, right? We both think it can be great and it is great, has been great. But like he's been really challenging me on healthcare and digging into it. Like how could we make healthcare either A, free for everyone or affordable, right? 
And I think those, I don't think we're having the right conversations around those. So like those have been ones, ideological changes, public school system, and then healthcare where I've just been, I've heard some ideas come out and they're not all bad. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I even just last night had someone, my mom's friend, you know, we're talking about the way that America handled the pandemic and stuff like that. And, um, was asking like like well then why like why did all these other countries handle all this stuff so much easier you know as far like as giving people money having them not have to pay their bills like having them not get kicked out of their houses and i was just at you know point like i i mean we just don't win this one you know we don't we those other countries like the the example they used was canada you know like canada does not have and it's it's a good thing right but canada doesn't have the partisan divide that exists in America. They don't have the harsh, crazy societal politics and issues that we have here that divided everything, you know? I mean, yeah. And it's, yeah, they're rather ideology, ideologically homogenous. Right. There are some times and it's, it's like we talked earlier when, when, Everybody needs to be taken care of at one time where this country is not going to do it the best because mm. our government's not designed for that, you know, no. because there's it's kind of like too many supposed people to be the opposite. Right. It's yeah. people have too much control for themselves here, you know, and it should be that way. But mm-hmm. when we're supposed yeah. to help everyone at one time, it just doesn't go quickly, you know, but when you have less personal control, personal responsibility and personal choice, it's easier for everyone to get something at one time because they already have ways to provide that, you know, we didn't have a way to give everybody more money at one time. They're like, Oh, the only way we know how to do it is taxes. It's here ever through the way that you filed your taxes. Oh, you don't file taxes. Uh, fill out this form. We'll figure it out. You know, like it's, 100%. so there's, we don't have a way to do that. You know, we weren't designed that way. And it's, you could argue again, that's not inherently a bad thing that they figured it out first, you know, but I don't know that I would rather have, that system over this one. You know what I'm saying? Because in this particular circumstance, it didn't work out in the best way. And I'm not trying to minimize it because thousands of people died. People are like, they're lost their jobs. Like it's very real consequences, you know, but I still, that's not enough for me to be like, all right, fuck it. Let's go the other way then. Like Mm -hmm. that's, this one didn't work. So let's just kick up the stakes and go for a more communist centralized control country, like system. The needs of the individual outweigh the needs of the masses. Yeah. I'm willing to admit that the system is not perfect, you know, but again, it's the best one that we got. It's how you maximize individual liberty, you know? And and that, I think that's the key. I think that's what we're kind of missing. I feel like, we got crushed on this, right? Even though Sweden kind of did the same approach, it kind of stayed open. Um, right. Mm-hmm. We're always we're always going to move slower whenever we need a a nationalized um, collective in order to do something. Because again, we have individual thought, right? And everyone's just like, "Well, this is terrible. It's it's not worth it. Like America's horrible." And I'm just like, "Well, listen. This individual thought is the same reason why we lead all countries in medical patents, right? Like right. we literally have the best. Or whenever someone needs an advanced surgery, top of the line, they come here, right? We leave them in cancer research patents, age research patents, like all of them, right? So like we can't. What I feel like we do is we cherry pick when something goes wrong. Like this is something very bad, but again, there's just more that goes into this. Like a, like we don't agree on all the facts, and b, like giving control to everyone is great when you need a very specific thing done, right? But if we agree that this is a once in a lifetime pandemic. I'm right. not going to build a system around the once in a lifetime pandemic. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and that's always been my thing. So, cause I've been getting a lot of pushback too. Like, well, 
you guys, you guys aren't thinking like a collective. It's just like our inability to think like a collective that has led us to the discovery of great businesses, medical put breakthroughs, like uh, in engine, like like product breakthroughs, technological breakthroughs. Like we're still on the cutting edge of so many things because of the way that we're built right here. So, mm-hmm. and it's tough, right? And it's just like you could say anything, but again, people from other countries are working very hard to come to our top colleges, right? Which has which we're supposed to be the pinnacle of our individual thought. Yeah. Well, and we've seen, I mean, that system just this year or just in the last few years, seen that it, it, like you were talking about, it works in specific ways, you know, in this particular instance, that system was great, but it's also the same system that allowed them to like ban all assault weapons in Canada just this year. You know, it was just two years ago or whatever, three years ago that they passed C-16 that Jordan Peterson was trying to fight. You know, it's that type of stuff would not go over overnight in America the same way that it did there, you know? And it's because of that individual freedom, that individual choice, that that type of stuff that you can't strip freedoms away when there's 320 million people or whatever we decided that are all holding individually those freedoms. You know what I'm saying? And it's, I I would rather have that than, than that any day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, Unless you have another question, let's talk about school policy. No, let's do school because so, we okay. start talking about education. Let's keep that train rolling. Yeah. yeah. Yo, so I'm the first, fan. the first exposure I had to the idea of school pods was like many other uneducated Americans through a meme, right? Yeah. And it was something to the effect of like, you know, teachers like here's your time to secure the bag. You know, find X amount of students at X amount of dollars per head and teach them all in your house, and then that's yeah. this much money per year, which is this much more than you make all the time, right? And at first, I was like, that's really great, except for the people, the parents who can't afford to pay that for a teacher to teach their kids in the meantime that they're not in school. You know what I'm saying? Because um, that's, I mean, be having a single parent, my mom would not have been able to afford even $500 a month to send me to school because we were doing online school publicly, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's why I went to public school. Um, And as I did more research, I saw a lot of different examples across the country of school pods and school pod kind of just being used as like an umbrella term, you know? Um, And so the one that I found, and we could talk about more different ways, but the one that I found that I was personally most in favor of was talking about a group of parents splitting the cost of a tutor to help their kids doing online schooling. Like they were going to do online school for like at least the first semester of the year. And so there was like 10 or 12 parents that had pulled together to hire a teacher's assistant or something to come into <laughs> one person's house, bless you, uh, mm-hmm. and teach these kids while they were doing online schooling so they could still get like the in-person stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. at that point, when the cost is cut from $500 to $50, you know what I'm saying? Because you're doing it with nine other parents. I got a way easier time getting on board, but like things being cross prohibitive, cost prohibitive are usually my biggest concern. Yeah. Just if, just because personally I don't come for money and I'm not saying that either of you do, but that's just always like my first, yeah, my first concern, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that being so important because education is, is so important to a child's very, development. Very important. Yeah. And that's, I have a cousin named Kaylin who is a teacher in Florida. Right. And I found out this week that they're doing regular schooling. Like they're open right now. She has 20 they're children open, in her open, classroom. Yeah, they're they're open, open doing it. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like, that just doesn't, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like the best way to go about that. When I have a child, I can tell you exactly how disgusting they are. 
that just doesn't seem like the best way to go about that. But I, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I have no idea. Um, so where are you at with school pods, Larry? Why was this the topic you wanted to bring up? So I just thought it was interesting. And just to caveat off your forward thing, like I'm in Oklahoma and like they're going to like I was they had a football. They had a football scrimmage the other day, people in the stands like I we were driving. Really? Home and we looked over and I was like, I thought they were practicing. I was like, oh, my God, that's a scrimmage. So like here, like I don't know if it's built into the cake, but like they're going back to like they're firing up their lives as normal. Um, the school pod thing came up. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. Uh, when this all kicked off and like, Hey, you're stay at home school. One of my friends, I forgot what it was, it might've even been my friend, Devin, regardless, he was like the kids who have like, like two parents at home and went to college are actually going to come out way ahead of kids who like have, for your example, my example of single parents who have to go to work every day. Like they can't right. teach us. They can't coach us. Like mm-hmm. how many times it's staying at home. Hey, let's be real. Cause I know the answer. If they're like, Hey Larry, it's your job. It's governed upon you to wake up every day, get on a computer and sit through a four. I'd be like, yo, this is never going to happen. Like, right. I'm not, like I'm not sitting here. And so like how many kids don't have their parents at home 24 seven to watch them and then don't have the mental aptitude to teach them. Cause he, he was talking to me. He was like, I was in advance. He was in advanced calculus. I even know they had advanced calculus. I thought calculus was, Anyways, he was in advanced calculus. Like my mom was never going to teach me advanced calculus if I wasn't no. in school. Mm-hmm. And then so I saw these teaching pods kind of develop and communities, kind of like you said, where the parents would cost, like they would uh, cost fund, or was it called cost pay, group their payments in the same way and bring in yeah. one to two tutors to teach a multitude of different things. And they're yeah. like, we can cover like, you know, the pre-K, but like they're like, 11 to 14 is when like the kids learn, they shape the most, their habits grow the most. So then like, we're going to like fill that gap there. And I was just like, Oh my, like two things. Those kids are going to be ahead of everyone coming back. Cause like, we oh, yeah. you didn't write a read for a year. Like you're, it's not going to get better. And then two, I think this is going to put a lot of pressure on public school. Cause I, as I've gotten older, have been a proponent of school choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, class voucher. So I thought that this was an interesting way of that to come back, you know? Yeah. And I think the, I think your point's very interesting. Like you said about us being at home and our teachers or our parents teaching us, right? My mom, my mom's dyslexic. There's, there's no way in fuck she could have taught me hardly anything that I was learning in high school. And it's not because she's not intelligent. She's extremely intelligent. She's just dyslexic. That's just not, Mm -hmm. that is not in her purview to teach somebody math that she does not understand, you know? Um, And I, I love the idea of like, you were talking about the the group funding, you know, because in, in that type of personally organized scenario where like me and Larry and Colin, where we are paying for a tutor to come in, if I don't have a hundred dollars, I got $50. You guys, as my friends, as other adults, as grown people are way more likely to be like, that's fine. We got you. You know, that's, if you only got $50 then we'll help you cover it. Like, cause we want, we want your kid to get ahead too. You don't mm-hmm. want my kid to not succeed just because I don't have money, you know? Yep. And it's, I'm going to say good, 98% of people feel that way. There are very mm-hmm. few Jason Stapleton, you know, that guy that we used to listen to that was like, if you, oh know, if you don't have money, I then fuck him, fuck him. your kid. You know, like he was very 100% free market as far as schooling. And if I have more money than you, my kids should get a far superior education than yours. And if you don't have money, then all you should get is the bare minimum. And to a certain degree, I agree that if you have more money, you have more access to other things. But 
the simple fact that I don't have money does not mean that my kids should just be fucking no. stupid. You yeah, know? it's not like you don't deserve it. Right. It's at, right. at that point. Yeah, and so I, I like the idea of it being a more personally organized thing, you know, mm-hmm. where we're yeah. getting together as parents, whoever has the biggest house, that's where the kids are showing up yeah. and we'll take turns, you know, being yep. there with their tutors to make sure everything's all in the up and up. And I, I don't think mm-hmm. that that's a bad thing at all. You know, there are serious concerns I've seen from teachers, parents, um, scientists, you know, of how, how much worse, I don't know a good way to put this. How much the, worse off this How much generation. worse the kids learn when they're at home as opposed to being oh, yeah. in school. You know, the education is just not anywhere near the same. And I saw one article, I don't remember what the state was, but there was 20% of kids who had not logged on a single time. They had zero yeah. hours of online time at their school. Exactly. You can't, you, there's no way, there's no way to enforce that. You know, there is no way to enforce all of the kids being online for six hours a day. You know what no. I'm saying? 100%. It, it can't be done, you know? And there's so many kids that in rural communities, I'm sure in Oklahoma, it happens all the time. There are kids that don't have internet, don't have high speed internet or rural yeah. communities. Like that's, how are you going to solve that issue? You know, that they need to then just drive in once a week to pick up a bunch of paper. Like mm-hmm. that's not, that's not going to solve the issue. That's no better than online learning to oh, just yeah. learn through packets at home. You know, so I know that learning is a, it's a tough problem. And yeah. I like the concepts behind these different school pod yeah. things going on because it is literally, you can't necessarily look at them as a whole because they're all so individualistically, you know, organized. Right. And, I think there's a huge advantage. I will rephrase that a huge possible advantage to this system because you get to kind of pick and choose how you want, you know, who the educator is going to be, right. how their teaching style is, who they are as people, whatever the fuck. Um, and that is, that's, that's a plus side in a lot of ways because you're not necessarily curtailed to the standardized testing education that people are getting nowadays. You know, it's this, this generalized education system isn't necessarily that great to begin with Mm -hmm. because you're just mostly sending your kids to go to school to gain social skills and be able to like pass standardized testing to get out into the world. When they're even doing away with standardized testing in like almost all of the States, you know, they're like, we're just not doing it next year. Like that's probably a good thing. They did away with it federally this year. They're like, we don't worry about it. Like they're going to be home. And next year there are a lot of them are already announcing like, we're just, we're not doing it. You know? So you're telling me, my education, your education, Larry's education hinged on our ability to pass the wassail, mm-hmm. the hispy, whatever the fuck it was called at the this time. This was everything. It was everything. And we're like, yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. You know? Because that is that is as arbitrary as it was. <laughs> right. It literally was. But yes. people, we were so fucking stupid that that's what we did. Yeah. Because it was like, it's a great, no child left behind. Everybody's going to pass this fucking right. test. It's the stupidest fucking thing in the world. No, 100%. And I've always wondered, we're throwing a lot of money, because like, like I did a little a bit lot of, of research, money, right? Like we're doing a lot of money per capita. We spend less than only Norway, Austria, and Luxembourg on primary and secondary education. And we only spend less than Luxembourg on tertiary education. Right? So my question is, if we are spending so much money, why are we statistically getting worse off and worse off in reading, yeah. writing and all the primary basis of measure. So that's why are we at least saying, number four on all of those things. If we're number four in spending, why are we at least number four? Yeah. If, I'll tell you right now, if it works how it should <laughs> public sector exactly. unions, yeah. that is the problem. Oh we're, yes. Teachers I are no longer held to account. Yeah. 
go to town, Larry. Go to go ahead. No, no. I, everything you said, like I, everything's red tape, right? So we create the institution around the thing we're trying to fix costs so much money. So for like, it, it, if a union person soaking up money for a kid, and I have the parent deem that I can't a switch my kid out of the school because of my zip code and B there's no way for you to be held accountable because your union is going to stop that. How are we reinforcing the teacher being a great teacher? Because again, if, but at your jobs, you calling you own your own business. If you don't perform, I guarantee you're going to lose some customers. Hard and Don, I think at work, if you weren't doing your job, you'd be like, Hey, we're gonna have to cut you loose. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. If uh, a surgeon messes up, we can sue the surgeon for malpractice on something we don't even understand. We just don't like the way it turned out. We can sue lawyers. I'm an accountant. I can get sued and kicked out. Even in, even in the army, there's a function that forces out, but in school it becomes so hard. The, the threshold to remove a teacher is so high. And if I don't like the teacher, I can't move the school. And I, in the school, I have no say in how my kid gets interacted with. We're all three different individuals. We probably all learn differently, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And so I don't know why we haven't reassessed. So I don't like the capitalist complete takeover, but I like the choice that comes with capitalism. And I like how we could have a say in it, right? The fact that I can't move my good. We we would go through red tape to move us into CK. We have to do different kind of paperwork instead of just right. being, okay, I want them to go there, right? And if the government can meet them somewhere, there like a voucher and to provide money to hedge the costs, right? Instead of like, cause again, the locality movement, we all pay local taxes. So instead of the local taxes going to a school based off of zip code and things like that, we'd be like, Hey, I have this, I'm doing the research and I guarantee we'd have multiple different kinds of schools pop up and be like, okay, well I want him to go here and I have a $900 voucher, which I guarantee you if, a, if I'm running the school, I'm going to make that cover most of the costs. And then right. what you would see, I think is smaller schools, and I think mm-hmm. you would see schools pop up that concentrate on a certain thing because again, mm-hmm. we're getting we're going up in confidence and down in trades, right? So we're not doing the kind of trade stuff, right? Where if you look at people, we just had a big hailstorm, so we have a ton of roofers, right? The roofers actually changing the roofs. They're they're not they're not people from America, right? Yeah. Yep. There's been white people, there's been Asians, there's been Mexicans, black people. None of them has spoke English as a first language. Yeah, and so I'm wondering why do we why aren't we getting these jobs right? Why aren't we teaching these jobs right? You know what I'm always gonna you know what I'm not always gonna need my iPhone and I won't always need my computer. But you know what I'm gonna need when it's a hundred degrees outside? I'm gonna need some AC. So why don't right. we have more kids trying to go the HVAC route right? Why are mm-hmm. we waiting till after high school if it's not gonna matter if the kid shows an aptitude for HVAC when he's 15? And if we had more choice then you could give a year and be like, Hey, you, you see like this, you seem interested, go try it out for a year. You have the money. It's not a net loss for the parents and we're accomplishing all these same goals. And it may not be the answer, but again, we've eliminated the ability to choose unless you have money. Right. So then we have the haves and the have nots. So that that's frustrating. Well, and as far as, unions go right we've seen a lot of comparison in the last few months from the conservative community in particular because the liberal community doesn't like to accept this but a lot of comparison between like police unions and teachers unions you know like well if we're asking for more accountability in a police union it very closely resembles this teachers union why are we not then asking for more uh you know responsibility accountability in the teachers union why are we allowing these same things to take place do we not value and certainly not to belittle the issues that are within the police union but do we not value 
the education of our children just as much as we value public safety. Because to, I mean, to me, it's about the same issue. You know, I'm just as concerned about how unsafe our community is as I am about how shitty the education was that I got when I went to the schools. You know, I might even be more concerned about how shitty the education was than how unsafe the community is in Kitsap County. You know, arguably the more educated the community, the less, the the less safe it is. The less crime there's going to be. Yeah. And so I I think it's close. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's very interesting, you know, that it's, it's very similar. If we have teachers that we are seeing are being consistently shitty why are they allowed to stay just because they've been there for 20 years? You know, like, I know, well, it's only like seven more years. Just let them die out, you know, and then we'll like see what happens. That's not the right way to be approaching our children's education. If they're teaching an outdated style, a way that doesn't work, it doesn't convert to whatever they're going to do afterwards. You know, that's not, that's not a healthy way to be, to be teaching, you know, and to the point of the trade schools. We've talked about trade schools, I mean, dozens of times on this show. Um, And just to get another perspective on it, do you remember or was there in your experience a stigma around going to West Sound Tech, some type of trade school to learn a trade as opposed to going to Olympic and like a regular school? It's one of my biggest regrets, honestly. Like, I don't know if there was a stigma. I had a stigma. I was just like, like, again, nothing out of it. I don't know if I had made anyone feel bad, right? Because I'm not, I try not to be. No, no. I have my moments. But like, definitely a stigma. So it was like, yeah, I go to West Sound Tech. I'd be like, uh, what? Like, like, that's not college. And now, like, going, like, finishing college, realizing that, like, I mean, I went to a great school. So is that, like, if I had a kid, like, I would, I won't force them, but I would, 100% illuminate those ideas. I've had multiple soldiers go into trade schools and like they leave the army, go to trade schools. And like, I love it. They're like, I can't, I can't fucking read. I hate math. Like, well, why would I do that? And like, all I do is work my hands all day. And I'm just like, okay. So now I have soldiers that literally didn't go to college, but they have zero debt, went to trade school and they're going to get out of school, right? No right. debt, making 18 to $24 an hour as their first job as a 20 year old with no kids. Like, right. Is yep. that not a good start? So like, if we're setting these kids, like, the problem is like, we don't have high paying jobs, but we don't have high paying skills. Right. Like, right. And so if right. we're not going to bridge that gap or encourage the bridging of that gap or give a stigma, cause like, I get disheartened when people are like, why would I want my kid to be a plumber? I'm just like, do you know how many millionaire plumbers they are out there just making money? Cause again, everyone likes to make fun. Let, let your AC, you guys know last week when it was a hundred degrees, if your AC went out, would you have wanted to be in your house? Right. No, no. I, w- I spent time in a human rainforest instead. Yeah, yeah. I forgot you guys went to Ecuador in the forest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and there's like, and I'm not, again, I'm not shitting anybody, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like you said, like working at McDonald's and working at Safeway, that's not supposed to be a skill. Like you're not yeah. supposed to earn $15, $17 an hour. That You're not supposed to be live, earning a livable wage doing that. Like mm-hmm. that's, so that's meant to be a first job, a transition job. Like you ideally, right. You'd only be in that job. If whatever you, you lost your other job or like you need something for now, like I said, or you're young, like this, your first job. So you're, it's not meant to be that way. You're not supposed to be living your whole life working at a job like that. You're supposed not that there's to anything up, wrong with right, working that's, at McDonald's. Right. And that's I'm a preface but with yeah. that just to, just to be sure. Cause there isn't, yeah. you know, there are many people who work through the ranks of doing that, you know, but oh, yeah. you're also not meant to just work the register at McDonald's for whole, your whole life. No. That's it's not made the war, our country. Cause I can't say the world, our country is not designed that way. That's not how it's supposed to work. I think like those type of jobs are great for getting into the corporate environment. Yes. Because you start out working at the bottom and then you, it's easy to get up into management. And then once you're in the management, that is that you 
you now have the corporate ladder that you can climb anywhere right. in the if world. If that's what you want to yeah. do. Yeah. So it it's not like it's a useless job. You know, there is a there's a place for those people. And then it's also there to just if you need a gig for a while. Right. You right. Know? Right. No. And yeah. It, it has think, its purpose for sure. There's just a, a serious issue in value placed, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I said, even, even people who went in high school, you know, there were people that went to West sound instead of going to Olympic high school. And even yeah. then it was like, Oh, you like, can't take a regular class. Like what the fuck? Yeah, 100%. Like, are you dumb? Like, again, yeah. it, it's silly. I, again, we, we built this up. Right. And I won't go into it because it's a longer thing, but like we've built up this thing that education is the future. Right. But again, right. it's just like, if I told you, pie is the best you'd be like well what kind of pie is the best right we haven't asked mm-hmm. what kind of education is the best for us right i could like i love apple pie and you guys could like different pies it doesn't mean I, i'm wrong or you're wrong it's just like different things work for us right but our inability to and like i look at everybody and this is probably one of the i, I don't know if it's terrible i look at everybody like a an income statement right everybody has an in and out right right in, income outgo so we convince people that, oh, education can change your life. So we've convinced these kids to load themselves up on tons of debt, right? To where the average payment is almost the same amount as a mortgage, right? But if a Oof. kid is spending that money on a mortgage, he's building wealth and taking oh, yeah. his family into a trajectory rather than the other person just cutting down. So I tell kids all the time in, college, in the army, I'm like, hey, you don't go to college, Right your level of living is way lower so you can make more decisions. Kids can't go work at McDonald's and climb the ladder right now because we convinced them they had to go to college. So they're like, yeah. I have all this debt. Like, I can't afford to live on $10. I'm like, why Why are we convincing these kids to go get debt? I tell kids all the time, don't buy a car. You, you, did you know that millionaires generally don't, they drive on average a four-year-old car as opposed to a brand new car? So like slumming out, go live with your friends. But like, again, we, 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 we haven't changed the conversation. We changed the conversation where if you live at home, you're a loser. Well, mm-hmm. no, living at home is a great way to strategically save money, lower your cost of living. Like right. not buying a nice car is a great way to lower your month to month expenses. So then you can go, you can travel more, right? Like if you want to spend $2,000 on traveling, if the average person makes $15 an hour, like you could travel without any debt theoretically four to five times a year. But again, right. we, we incur debt, we incur things. And it all starts with education. Cause we when I think it's good. Uh, I think it's shifted that, uh, that value you're talking about has shifted so much that I've even started to see rhetoric. That's like, you don't make $15 an hour because of whatever you make it because your, you know, billionaire boss is taking advantage of you so that they can make oh, all the money yeah. they want. It's like, that's, yeah. That's not in some instances. Yes. There are some corporations that are just trying to rape their employees because they don't give a fuck about you. When I, my first job was at the call center across the street from Safeway. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. That company doesn't give a fuck about you. They are trying to rape you for as many calls as they can get and pay you as little as they can. Right. But that same thing that people are talking about would it's, it's a box they're trying to fit over every job that works for some type of corporation, some type of something. Yeah. When If you tried to fit that over my job, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, that's, that's not the case. I, I am a, in the most grandiose of terms, right? I am a grandiose. specifically and highly trained medical technician who makes customized neoprene orthotics for anybody ranging from the age of one day old to Tens of years, I mean, decades old. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I have worked very hard for the last five years to build up the skills that I have to work for what I have. My company not paying me $40 an hour does not mean that they don't value the work that I've done. It doesn't mean they're trying to rate me for what I have. I I don't make $40 an hour, but I also don't make $13 an hour. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I, I make an appropriate amount of money for what I'm supposed to make. And my company actually took care of me during this time. You know, if you work for a shithole company that doesn't care about you, that's exactly how your job feels. If you choose, right? Because everybody has a choice in the place that they work. Larry has the choice to work for the army, to be in the army, right? He's choosing to not do that after next year. Colin, you have the, you worked with me. Now you, you partially own your own company. I have the choice. I choose to work for Benick. You know, if you work for a company that chooses to not value you, you choose to not be valued. Mm-hmm. I ha- And it, t- it takes time. The first three jobs I have, the people didn't give a shit about me. You know, that's why I work here now. It takes time. Not every job is going to do that, but yeah. you have to find a job that provides, that sees the value in you and pays you accordingly, compensates you yeah. accordingly. Because as you know, there are all kinds of other stuff outside of pay that I get working at this job oh, yeah. that make it a great job. You know, most yeah. jobs are like that in some fashion. And, and it's really easy. I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to blank on his name now, but there's that, that crazy economics guy that's been on Rogan a few times recently. I, I want to say it's Peter something or other. Oh, Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff. I love Peter Schiff. Yeah. yeah right. And he can, he can kind of make that kind of same argument about like, well, you know, you just need to move. You need, you know, you need to go someplace right. that, you know, your, your work is valued at a certain area and all that. And that's not to say that like, it's understandable when, like in the real world circumstances, like that may not exactly be possible mm-hmm. for the situation right, right. you're at. Right. But overall, I mean, we got to remember, we used to live in an age not that long ago where people would like relocate whole families for a job interview, the other side of the country, you know, yeah, I mean, like that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. People don't really do that, but that it is, if you are looking for a very specific job that can, take care of you in the manner that you think you should be taken care of and your labor that you're going to output is going to be worth whatever you are being paid. Every, every job is a contract between somebody that's offering their labor and their time and their skills to a company who's willing to make money off the back of that. You work at a deal in between that's called your wage. And so it's not to say that that's not, it's not difficult a lot of times it is, but yeah. it is worth pursuing because otherwise right. you fall into this realm of misery and, and chaos. And, you know, a lot of times you can end up, if you refuse to go where the money's at, you get left behind. Right. Yeah. Which is sad to say, because it can tear families like it's intergener- intergenerational families apart, but that's the kind of the true nature of where we're at now, at least. Yeah. But, um, how long we've we been doing this, by the way? I just realized I looked at the time. It's like four fifty. And I was just going to okay. ask Lars if you had any thoughts on that. Oh, no. For sure. No, I don't want to open that's up makes... a brand new giant topic or something by no. accident. <laughs> no, I, and like just a caveat with that, like everything said's right. Like I just, I, th- I think there's a period of it being hard, right? That we have to yeah. go through to make it Absolutely. work. Absolutely. That's why I always tell kids, I'm just like, well, kids, my soldiers. I'm like, keep your cost of living lower because it allows you to do more, right? Because like that's that's the thing. Like working at a shitty job when you have a house payment, a car payment, student loan debt, a free cell phones, right? Like, but when you have nothing, living off of eight hundred dollars is just easier, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then once you can do that, you should always be working and then working to get to the next level. So like in yeah. everything I do, like I, I go to work, do my army job. And then when I get home, I work on my county job, right? Cause I'm always trying to think of what's next. So I think that like you, you, Colin said it, like he worked his normal job. And then he, he saved up, made the right decision. Now he owns his partial business. You said that you worked three jobs you didn't like, and then you worked in your company and you've just been climbing the wrong, right? And you guys yeah. are always working to improve your lifestyle, your the peripherals, right? And I think that's where we're at. Like people, we kind of sold them this bad bill of goods, took on a ton of college debt, and now we're trying to blame other people for us. And I'm just like, well, no one made you go there. So I think we need to get more comfortable with that period of heart. And I think people that come, immigrants come to our country and they have internalized why it's hard. And that's why you see, even though Japanese people cannot own property in 14 states from 1912 to 1952, their net worth is now almost higher than white people. Like, what was, yeah. what was that about? Because they internalized the hard, the drink. What was that about? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. again, I hear so many excuses like, well, no one's ever right. had it like this. I'm just like, it's been some crazy shit. So, yeah. And I think you're right to a certain extent about being sold a bad bill goods. Like, a lot of when we were in high school, college was being sold almost to the point that it's like, if you go and get a four-year degree, you're going to be able to walk into a fucking job when you're done, you yeah. know, but you then do whatever so, you want, but then so many people had degrees that the comes like, we just don't give a shit anymore, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so to a certain, and we talked about a couple weeks ago, like blame, who, who was to blame, you know, for yeah. us, like not being able to choose the right path, you know? And I think we just all were, we just didn't see where it was going. You know, we yeah. should have, and we did not, we should yeah. have been able yeah. to predict, what was going to be needed because of what mm-hmm. we were saying at the time. And some people saw that. There are some people like there's millionaires that are plumbers because 20 years ago they were like, fuck all you guys going to college. I'm going to go digging shit and I'm going to make a lot of money doing it. Yep, you know, 100%. my brother David just started being a plumber a year ago. He's, oh, yeah. They're living in a house now. You know what I'm saying? They were living in an apartment. He's living in a house now. So 100%. he's living a great life doing things people don't want to do, you yep. know? And it sucks. It does suck. I, I work 50 hours a week, which is not that much, but it's more than full time, you know? And I do that because I want to support my family. I want Jordan to be able to stay home with Dax and like help raise him because I think that's the best foundation for him to grow, you know? Oh, yeah. So yeah. You, you make sacrifices for the things that you want. Um, and I, so I think because of that bad bill of goods, a lot of those kids, they don't want to work afterwards. They were mm-hmm. told it was going to be easy and now they don't want to work. They put it the work, you know, we put the work in. I went to college. I did that stuff. And now I don't want to do that. Where's and my now, money? It's like, no, you know, now you got to work, work. Now you got to hustle. You have to work now. You yeah. know, that's, Jordan, that's what it is. Jordan yeah. Pearson says all time. Perseverance is the highest indicator of success. Like you just got to sit through and push. So yep. I agree with everything you said, like everything. I, I love it. I love that vibe. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have any closing thoughts, any questions, last comments, any, anything like that, Larry? No, thanks for having me on the show. This was awesome. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. This was fucking amazing. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hard you're, yes on you're definitely coming back on the show. Yeah. Hard, no, yeah. There's, there's lots left to be discussed. Thank you for coming. It was a fantastic show. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. This was great. Um, we will tag you and all the stuff when I post on Monday, it'll be about Monday afternoon. Um, so it'll be like four 30 ish our time. So okay. six 30 your time. Yeah. Um, I'll catch it. Don't worry. Yeah, my yeah, family's absolutely. ready to listen to it. So <laughs> perfect, oh, yeah. perfect. Well, hopefully, um, I've been trying to really cut down the swearing in the last mm-hmm. when we first started. Yeah, I was cussing up the storm. It was really bad. Um, but I guess like your some of your family's in the military, so they're probably pretty used yeah, to. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I assure you, nothing that was said today is going to be the make or break. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we try and I had some, like like my grandma, you know, like I had my grandma listen to it and she's like, I just don't understand why you're talking like that. I'm like, I wish that I could express to you why I needed to talk this way. Uh, but for a long time, I was trying to normalize it. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. I just want, I want it to be okay. I want people to be like, well, he swears a lot, but it's got all this stuff to say, you know? And I'm like, it's just... I'll get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll get here and then I'll start swearing more and then we'll be all right. So, well, yeah. Um, but I think that that's pretty much it. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything no, you want to say? No, other than that. Thanks again, Larry. This was fucking fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Awesome. We'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I am Donovan. This is Colin. This is Larry. I am at salt of the street on Twitter. Cause I forgot to do this at the beginning. It's always hit or, oh, miss. Yeah. <laughs> hit or miss whether or not I do the social medias at the beginning. Um, I am at salt of the street on Twitter and at alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. Colin is at big bird off on both those things. You can find all of our stuff on salt of the streets.com. Salt of the streets at YouTube, salt of the streets, Facebook, Instagram, all of that stuff. Larry, do you want to tag your social medias or do you want me to just tag you in the stuff? That's up yeah, to you. My Instagram is Larry the Tax Guy. Everything else. Larry the we'll Tax just, Guy. We'll get there, we get there. That's the main oh, one. Jesus Christ. I watched you squat 635 three times. Holy <laughs> Lord, Larry. Oh my God. I just started. I have to ask you this before we go because I yeah, just started I lifting when Corona happened. My neighbor across yeah. the street, John, the guy that we went to work out with, the murder garage. Murder uh, garage. Got, yeah, he's got like a he's got a, a power rack and stuff like that. So we've been squatting and benching and stuff like that. What are your personal records for your lifting? Uh, so I think squatting is the only one I've ever gone like crazy ham on. I did just over 700 in squat. And then I deadlifted 600. I did 605 for seven. And then I did 583 for an AMRAP of 17. Oh my God. And then benching, I can kind of touch. I've done four or five literally one time. I hate the bench. I have glass shoulders. I was watching. You ever, you ever listen to Pardon My Take? Yeah. 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 I was listening to one then with Aaron Donald and DK Metcalf on there. And fucking Aaron Donald said that he benched 500 pounds. The man bench press is 500 pounds. Crush my chest. I think I'm actually scared of him, honestly. I'm not sure. I don't, bro, if I met him in person, I would be intimidated. Like, like I want to say hi to you, but also you might crush my hand if I try and shake yours because <laughs> no, Jesus live. Christ. Well, that, that's given me some goals because I did yeah. lifted like 375 a couple weeks ago and I was pretty proud go. of that. It was, no, no, so. no, you should be. Listen, it's all just the journey. Like, I don't, we don't, I don't tie numbers too much. I just lift all, lift often, lift with your friends. It's just fun. Do it for, yeah. do it all the time. John is a great, he was on here a couple great. weeks ago, um, John, and he's, he's a great lifting partner. He's, yeah. He is about as motivational as you can possibly need. His cup is never empty, bro. He's always no. got more, always oh, more yeah. in the tank. Yeah. So you he'll just those keep juice pushing. Guys. Yes. Yep. Yeah. He's well, and he like, he said himself, like he was born, he was, he's, he's a fat kid when he was young, you know, and now he's just all jacked up. So he's, yeah. he's got all the motivation in the world mm-hmm. to like, you can literally achieve anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Working out with John and you're like, God, I can do it. I can do it. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. No, John's a good partner. Um, yeah. That's so Larry, the tax guy, Larry on Facebook, we we're going to tag you in all these things. Oh, I'm going to pull up a line real quick. Oh um, yeah. yeah. I even looked at him. I don't know if you finished any of the shows, but at the end of all of the shows, there was a lot line pulled from a tv show um and wh- whoever guesses what the tv show is because i've been doing the same tv show for f- months now a while. the, oh, the yeah. first one was the first one was oh it's it's always sunny in philadelphia and that went for like a year. it went over a year yeah. before someone finally guessed what it was and they oh, were all God. just 
random lines I had pulled from watching the show. Um, and so I've picked a new show now. No one's figured out yet. Whoever wins gets a t-shirt. Oh, I'm also going to get your address from you. I'll send you a t-shirt, whatever size you want. I'll send you one for your wife too. We'd love to send you one. Oh, yeah, sweet. I'll, Thank you. I'll ship it out to you. Yeah. Um, all right. I got it. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Am I ever? I thought about this when all the people in Portland were, you know, they're calling them, they're getting black bags. They're getting hooded up. Right. I'm used to being in the dark. I drank from a puddle when I was seven. And I was blind for a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. We grow up in Bremerton, I guess. 